Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. First of all, let me just say good morning and just what a, a shock it is <laughs> that we are done uh, with the regular season almost completely. I mean, there's Army, Navy, and a couple of other sort of scattered, uh, extraneous, leftover games that we are going to knock out. But it's just a shock, a bit of a shock. Uh, that we are that we're here now. That we are here now. And it's this, this is, you know, I know they all go by quickly. <laughs> I know they all go by quickly. Well, this one went by really, really quickly. That's a shock. Uh, the final four is on everyone's mind. Best case scenario for me, uh, is I get two out of four. I have, uh, I had coming into the season Auburn, uh, swing and a miss there. Uh, I had Baylor, fouled that one off, but, uh, ended up, you know, fouling out eventually. And then, uh, Ohio State, and uh, Clemson. So I have two of mine are still alive, sort of. Uh, Ohio State needs some things to happen, obviously. Clemson is it's theirs to lose. So uh, we're going to have some uh, superlatives, right? You know, best of, worst of, that kind of thing. And uh, hopefully mostly best. And we'll also have some prospect guests on, which are one of my favorite parts of the everything that we do is, is getting to know these student-athletes, these young men who have worked hard, very hard, uh, if not all their lives and much of their lives, to put themselves in this position some of them to play at the next level, some of them to complete a college education, uh, and some of them just wanted to keep playing football after high school, you know, with no other uh, ulterior motive. So that's the people that we'll be discussing and uh, getting to know. It's a great thing. Um, the, the level of self-sacrifice Discipline, uh, you have to tell yourself to go up there and play football. There's nothing normal or instinctive about football. Uh, we talk about you know instincts and whatever, but it is an unnatural act playing football, quite frankly. Uh, you are asking of yourself 
um, things that do not come natural to human beings. You know, hey, this guy's going to come at you. He's going to be big. He's going to be strong. He's going to be angry. He's going to try to hurt you. But don't think about yourself. There's a whole other guy who's taller and thinner than you who's going to have a ball in his hand. You've got to protect him. I mean, there's a truly interesting lesson to be learned. And offensive linemen have always fascinated me. Uh, one, because it's the farthest away from what I did, right? Uh, I always played on the, you know, the back or the edges or whatever of the game, you know, in that I played primarily defensive back. So you're the farthest away from the action. Um, and then, you know, I would talk to people who played center, and it's, it's a whole different football game for a variety of reasons. But the main one being they're right, you know, their world is very compressed. You know, they, they, they only know, well, not only know, they, they probably know because they're smart about what's going on all over the field. But they can, only, they can only see a few feet, you know, really to either side of both cases. So they're, they're, their ability to actually see visually what's happening on the football field is probably one of the worst seats in the house in terms of knowing what's going on or seeing what's going on, you know, being able to actually see who's doing what, you probably would uh, have a hard time finding a worse place to sit or stand or crouch, I guess, really. So I always uh, have a special respect, I guess, for the interior of the offensive line. They they tend to get precious little credit and, you know, they, they get blame, I guess, often when it's, when it's, uh, correctly assigned. Sometimes it's not correctly assigned, but either way, they get blamed with little to no credit, <laughs> you know, for when they do do things correctly because people don't tend to even know what they've done half the time when they've done it. I mean, nowadays, this is one thing I'll say about modern color guys is that, especially guys like Ed Cunningham, guys who've played interior offensive line, you see more and more of them trying to point out, hey, here's a guy doing a really great job of X. You know, which you didn't used to see back in the old days. It used to be, you know, <laughs> follow the ball. You know, even for the the people who supposedly know the game at a high level, sometimes they would only seem to follow the football. So now I see more and more, and it's better, obviously, than ever before, attention being paid to what else is going on in other places. Um, like I said, even where the uh, you know, even where the actual game is being played in terms of what's going on from play to play, snap to snap. But getting back to playoffs, both uh, playoffs with a capital P, you know, the the playoffs that a lot of people know about, the FBS playoffs, and also what we discussed largely on yesterday's show, the FCS playoffs. For many players, as I mentioned before, when I talk about, you know, the bowl games and talk about some other things, uh, it's a great chance for scouts to see players playing, hopefully against, you know, really high level of competition at whichever level we're discussing, whether it be Division Two, Division Three, uh, NAIA, FCS, FCS, whatever. You're getting a chance to see good teams, excellent teams in many cases, teams that uh, sometimes they face each other. We talked about how many rematches there were in the FCS. Sometimes you teams have faced each other before, and sometimes they have not. But either way, it's a it's a great chance to see high level competition. Uh, some of the top players in some of these top conferences, at whichever level, facing each other, and you know, with 
all the marbles, so whatever term you want to use. Uh, the competition is enhanced, obviously, by the fact that it's winner go home. And I mean, there's no better way to put it, and there's nothing, there's there's no way to better encapsulate the heart of competition than that: win or go home. So, hats off once again to them finally having gotten playoffs together at the SBS level, which was, you know, until they finally worked this out. It's the only level of college athletics that did not have that, you know, amongst team sports, didn't have that worked out in every other sport, literally every other sport, at every other level. They had finished, they had figured out a way to, to, to actually play it out on the field. So as flawed as the system might be in your eyes, my eyes, anyone's eyes, thank God they finally got it done. Uh, for those of us who remember the BCS, and in my case, the pre-BCS era, some of the younger guys might not remember that, but it used to be literally just UPI, AP poll, yeah, coaches poll, right? You had these polls, and sometimes they would agree, sometimes they'd disagree. You'd have two, maybe as many as three, not recently. I mean, I think that back in the you know 30s, 40s, 50s, you might even have three national champions, which is why some of these schools, you'll see these rather inflated totals given for number of national championships because, you know, some poll outlier had awarded them the national championship when, you know, the general agreement was some other team or even some other teams might have been more deserving. If Isaiah's joined us yet, looks like Isaiah's not. I know that he's going to be joining us. I believe that Ryan Turner will be coming on at some point. In about 15 or 20 minutes, we'll start having a prospect guest join us, and amongst the most celebrated of which, uh, Greg Milhouse Jr., who we had the pleasure of having on preseason, will return to talk about what the season's been like, uh, his invitation to the NFL PA game, and you know, I just have memories of uh, what it was like to be a college football player and what things he's looking forward to in the future. That's some of the things that we'll be discussing in just a moment. Obviously, as I said, the, you, know, you can't not talk about the playoffs. And... Uh, the games today that will determine, you know, who's in, who's out, which, as I said, is uh, is incredibly exciting. I mean, for, like I said, for some people, if they're reasonably young, their memory may not go back beyond the, the BCS era, which was a, an attempt, you know, to fix it. And I appreciated the attempt, but it always felt, always felt like that. Always felt like an attempt. It didn't feel like they got it done. It felt like they tried. <laughs> and now it feels like they've, you know, while, while I said it's not perfect, I don't think everyone would agree it's not perfect, it is so much better than it was. Such an improvement. Such a step beyond what we had before. I can't imagine there would be anybody seriously who wants to go back. Uh, I would be shocked and amazed if somebody could make a real logical argument for returning to the the days of the BCS. 
if, if this so, if somebody actually would like to make that argument, I'd like to hear it, you know, and exactly what the thought process is uh, regarding why they want to, you know, moonwalk back to uh, that era when teams could run the table. You know, Boise State, Tulane, and others could run the table. They were undefeated, beat everybody you put in front of them, and there was literally no path, none whatsoever, that would take them to a championship game or even a discussion of playing for a championship. You know, it was enjoy your trip to the Fiesta or whatever bowl and, you know, your swag bag. That's it. And now, I mean, still, if you're the MAC champion and you've gone undefeated, you're the you know, Sun Belt champ, or Conference USA champ, you've gone undefeated, you're probably somewhat screwed. We would have had a fascinating, fascinating discussion if the AAC champ, whether it be Houston, whether it be Navy, whether it be Memphis or Temple, uh, had managed to go undefeated. And they were the only undefeated team in the nation. And in the case of Memphis, particularly, you had, you know, some fairly respectable wins on your resume. And that is the current best chance right now for the non-Power 5 is to put up a pretty challenging schedule, play and beat a team like Auburn you know, when Auburn's better than this year, but Auburn or Ole Miss or Mississippi State or, you know, heck, Alabama, right? Beat them. Schedule some SEC school that people respect. Georgia, whoever, Florida, beat them. You know, step one, you know, the schedule, you step two, beat them. And then run the table. And that's going to be, to me, the great question. And they managed to dodge the bullet this year, as everybody in the AAC has at least one loss. But if you're going to tell me, you know, seriously, that there's a huge gap in your mind between Memphis, Houston, Temple, and Ohio State, Notre Dame, you know, essentially most of the teams that are still in it, or, or at least recently were still in it, you know, whoever the Big 12 champ, well, you say so, uh, Oklahoma. You think a, if you think there's a huge gap between those teams, I just, we're just going to have to disagree. <laughs> I think there's not a huge gap. I think there's a gap in depth of talent and maybe a slight gap in the top talent, but not a big gap. But then that gap existed for Ole Miss, too. I mean, Ole Miss has as many five stars in their two deep as anyone, as anybody, like anywhere in college football. If just looking at how good these guys are supposed to be based on how good they were supposed to be in high school, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with somebody, including Alabama, quite frankly, that has as many, you know, top of the line, meaning in the top five of their position grouping coming out of high school. 
I mean, Chad Kelly wasn't a top five guy, but he was pretty highly touted. Obviously, on defense, when healthy, you know, you have Kandishi, who was the number one guy on defense, and some people's rankings, the number one player coming out of high school. Tony, Tony Connor, who was ranked somewhere between one and four in most people's safety rankings coming out of high school. You know, this gaggle of wide receivers, right? Everywhere, a guy like uh, Cody Core gets almost lost in the in the shuffle. You know, Ingram at tight end, who's obviously a very small tight end, but a very skilled tight end. You know, Stringfellow and um, uh, obviously the big kid. You know, the two big kids, uh, the Morier, Stringfellow, and um, most people's number one tight uh, number one. Number one, he's almost a tight end. Number one wide receiver. You know, they, I mean, they have essentially a team that's built to look like your stereotypical SEC team. And obviously they didn't play a great game against Memphis, but, I mean, I saw the game. It wasn't like Memphis tricked them. It wasn't like, you know, there were six fluky turnovers or something like that. That was a game where they got flat out played. I mean, there's no, there's no, they didn't, there wasn't some crazy trick play. There wasn't some, you know, they weren't playing in a monsoon. It wasn't something you point to and say, well, that's that's why. You know, there was this this thing that couldn't ever happen again if these two teams played again. This is a one-off deal. No, that was a game where Memphis played a really good game, but not a perfect game. I mean, Memphis didn't play a perfect game either. They played a good game. You know, one of their best games, if not their best, I'd say one of their two or three best games, and it was probably the first or second worst game that Old Miss played, but still there was nothing fluky about the game. So I've said it before and I'll say it again. The gap is closing within the FBS, but also between FBS and FCS. And, you know, this has been borne out by the number. The number keeps going up, you know, every year of how many FCS teams has to put up a victory against sometimes even some fairly big names the FBS. So, you know, we made jokes about relegation. You know, some teams that maybe need to go up and some teams that maybe need to go down. I'm generally a fan of teams that stay, if they're FCS teams, stay there. You know, at least you've won a couple of national championships. You know, UMass, God bless you, and all the, you know, hopefully successes that you will have at the FBS level. But it wasn't like you guys were, you know, dominant at the FCS level. It was one of those sort of a head-scratcher. Now, Appalachian State, there we go. You know, if you're Georgia Southern, okay, right. You know, I get it. You, you've done things at the FCS level that, that give you reason to believe you're going to be able to step up and do well. I mean, there's, like I said, there's two or three programs that I was wholeheartedly agreeing should have made the move. And I think there's probably only a matter of time until eventually North Dakota State makes the move. And when it happens, that's when I'll fully support. You know, it's not like you're doing it just as a cash grab, though I'm supposing that, you know, grabbing of cash will always play a part in every decision made in these kinds of situations. But this is a team that, I mean, who do you want to name? Lombardi's Packers. I mean, there's, there's a short list of teams that are that good that consistently even when, you know, things happen, you know, coaches go. I mean, all kinds of things happen, and they just roll and roll and roll. You know, they're a little down this year over some years past where they were just 
you know, there were years they were head and shoulders above the competition, and unless they played badly or, you know, key injuries, and that's what's happened to this year's key injuries. I mean, Carson Wentz is, is a quarterback that some people have ranked in their top five overall. Everybody has him in their top three or four senior quarterbacks. And so his injury and obviously losing a returning starter at quarterback as you go into a championship run, no matter what level you're playing, if you're playing high school, if you're playing, you know, Kiwi, whatever level, that's going to affect your team. And like I said, you know, he was sort of in this direct lineage, you know, of guys who had, I mean, it's been a long time since they haven't had a quarterback somewhere in their TV who has one who's you know been on a team that won a national championship. You have to go back probably what ten years almost. Provide <laughs> a time when they didn't have a quarterback or you know a leader of the team, whether he be the quarterback or play some other position. They had somebody who if, who had been on a national championship team probably for a solid decade. Uh, we'll see if they can you know repeat. It's going to be probably the toughest in years. Uh, probably the first time in four, three or four years that it didn't seem like they were almost fated to uh, to get back there. I mean, in a way, they've been more dominant than Alabama. People like to point to Alabama as sort of the gold standard. And, of course, there's a good reason for that as well. I mean, they've been a fantastic program for longer than most of us have been alive. You know, uh, my father sort of tells me about when Bear Bryant left you know, a successful program. I mean, he had success at Texas A&M and then more success at Kentucky and was on his way to being, you know, a legendary football figure in much the way that Adolph Rupp was becoming a legendary basketball figure and then he leaves and, you know, some people were surprised as, uh I think primarily it was, you know, as he said himself, when Mama calls you go home, that, of course, was his school, you know, where he played and things like that. So the coaching carousel that, has, like we said, spun wildly out of control, I just want to spend a little time on Russell McNeil. I mean, here's someone, if there's a guy who should be essentially, I'm not, no coach should be allowed to just sort of coach out the string or whatever. I mean, and we could sort of say how Penn State maybe owed that to a certain extent to Joe Paterno, but I can understand teams not wanting to essentially cheat the young men, you know? I mean, that's what this is about, or should be about. It's about the young men, right, who give up their, their selves, their time, their effort, and a tremendous amount of energy in their bodies, right? You know, their bodies get expended on that field. You know, guys, unfortunately, suffer lifelong injury, lifelong trauma sometimes. And very rarely, uh, we've even seen people die on the football field. It doesn't happen often, usually at the high school level. And luckily, you know, it's unusual even then. But it's one of the more dangerous team sports on the planet Earth. You know, that's not disputable. That's simply a fact if you want to look at the data. When you're asking young people to risk themselves, I mean, that's, it's a real risk. But more importantly, to put so much energy and time. You know, we forget the games. You know, the games are a reward. Uh, the preparation time, meeting, you know, the time you spend 
in your dorm room with your playbook until one o'clock in the morning. You're a backup center, right? And you're going to start because of a guy with a high ankle sprain, you know, who's normally number one ahead of you. You've been studying all along, but not preparing like you're going to start. It's just different. If anyone tells you it's not different, they're, they're probably not telling you the truth. It is different. I I I was a backup. You know, that was all I ever was. I have never been a starter, you know, beyond the age of 13 or so. So from 13 to, you know, the next seven years before I finally, you know, uh, got the message, for lack of a better way of putting it, that, you know, this, this particular dream was for, for other people with more talent. But the point is that you prepare differently. Yes, you know the game plan. Yes, you know the calls and adjustments and things like that. But how quickly did it come to mind? How sharp are you on this? That's different. It changes. Once they say, oh, no, you are the guy, there's not somebody else coming. This is on you. You prepare differently. So uh, getting back to what I was talking about, you know, you don't want to sort of have a coach that's phoning it in or if he's, you know, no longer fully engaged or whatever term you want to use. You want your coach, you know, whether it be a head coach, an assistant coach, whoever, to be all in. So I understand if you see a coach who's maybe no longer fully engaged, maybe no longer 100% plugged in, dialed in, why you might want to make a move. Hey, you know, thank you for your, your time and energy and service and whatever, but you know, we need to go in a different direction because X, Y, Z. I fully understand that. I fully understand when a guy is doing a bad job. I fully understand when a program's headed in the wrong direction. But someone's going to have to make me understand what's going on with East Carolina and Ruffin McNeil, who, I mean, it just seemed like a storybook, right? You know, outstanding linebacker, goes out, becomes one of the better defensive coaches, is a, a highly sought defensive coordinator, eventually comes home, as they say, to where his you know, football dream really took off, East Carolina, which is a, you know, whatever term you want to use. Um, people have now started using the basketball term mid-major. They play a reasonably challenging non-conference schedule with a couple of uh, ACC schools sprinkled on each year. They hit up the eastern seaboard. That would be the area of Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, and probably into northern Georgia pretty well. There are good second options. It says that they're going to be SEC or ACC. And, you know, something fell through or whatever happened, do a fairly decent job of working the junior colleges as well. You know, so I guess technically speaking, they're a national recruiter because all the junior college players that come to them come from Texas, California, and Kansas, and, you know, uh, Mississippi, all the junior college hotbeds that you might want to think of all get hit by their recruiters. But I mean, let's be honest. If you win eight or nine games, 
East Carolina, you are getting it done with a capital D. You win 10 games with East Carolina, which I think is probably only been done maybe once or twice in the school's history. I think once under coach uh, Steve Logan, they hit the 10-game mark. You know, and they've been close to that number recently, you know, with Captain Carden and, and that bunch. But you can't expect that year in and year out of East Carolina. Now, I'm just being honest. I grew up in southeastern Virginia. I've seen uh, one of those sort of underrated rivalry games, UNC versus East Carolina. Obviously, you have, you know, UNC being the the more respected program. And so when East Carolina is able to beat them, and they've done it and will continue to do it, it is, it's a big win. And there's no two ways around it. It is a big win. It may not be a – some people say, you know, some there's asymmetrical rivalries out there. It means more to East Carolina than it does to UNC, and I don't think UNC wants to admit it, but it's true. You know, it's it's one of those things where they have a, a lot to lose and little to gain usually, but, but it's a good game every year practically. It's a very good game. You know, I've had a chance to see Virginia Tech play East Carolina in person a little bit, and like I said, you know, they hold their own. They don't usually get slapped around in these games. They usually are right there in these games most years. I don't think the ACC is looking to expand, so I don't think there's probably an easy way for them to make that jump. But if they did, if they suddenly found themselves in the ACC, I think they would equip themselves fairly well. I mean, are they in a worse situation than Wake Forest in terms of securing talent? I would say no. I would say that they're probably in a very similar situation. And like I said, because their academics aren't quite as stringent as Duke or Wake Forest, they they would probably hold their own, like I said. I don't think they would struggle. Not, you know, they might not be winning championships. They might not ever reach the level of the Clemson's and Florida State's, or even do. You know, Duke had their checklist has reached levels that I think most people didn't foresee, I'll put it that way. You know, Spurrier had some good, good years there. Uh, there was some, some fun to be had to a certain extent. Uh, during the, you know, the sort of pre-funding gun days that Spurrier had there at Duke. And like I said, Coach Cutcliffe has had a level of success that I think few would have expected. And I am shocked that his name doesn't come up more nationally. Shocked. You know, when when uh, Arkansas had to, you know, make a a move and they brought in Bielema, and there's nothing wrong with Coach Bielema, please don't get me wrong, but imagine where they might be if they had Coach Cutcliffe. If you know, I just I just wonder, you know, where that program might be if they were able to get a hold of a guy like Coach Cutcliffe. I wonder where many programs might be. I was a little salty that USC didn't at least make a run at him. Now I, I think they probably wanted to go a little younger, and maybe that has something to do with it. You know, relatable, blah blah blah, guy with more West Coast, you know, familiarity. But whatever. I think he's one of those guys that should almost be on everyone's short list especially if you're a team that wants to get much better at the quarterback position. Uh, He's managed to, even at Duke, right, put a couple of guys in the league. Are they starters? No, but they're in the league, you know, and I'm trying to think of the last time Duke put even non-starter types in the league. I mean, Ben Bennett had a cup of of coffee and a donut, 
after being with Spurrier. Uh, you know, I think Thad Lewis is still bouncing around somewhere. Um, he may, may or may not still be in the league, but he isn't. He, he's the kind of guy that always will get a call when a spate of injuries hit the quarterback position. Renfrey is backing up uh, Matt Ryan. So, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. The world of college football, like all other hierarchical, political, whatever kinds of organizations and structures you want to to mention, there'll always be influence, right? There'll always be a type of influence that will change and shape, alter certain parts of the landscape. And the SEC, you know, has positioned itself, and it's not it's not undeserved entirely, but as this top dog in college football. So, when an SEC school, whether it be a, even if it's not a very good program, gets beaten by almost anybody, and you know, <laughs> uh, if you beat an SEC school, even one that say Tennessee, right, a fairly nimbling program, that's something that Oklahoma's bragged about this year, right? You know, here we have Oklahoma, not exactly a, you know, little sisters of the poor program itself. I mean, you know, a flagship program. Uh, the the program that people are most familiar with in their conference probably, I mean, it's other than Texas. I mean, it's Texas and Oklahoma and everyone else in terms of sort of general public perception to some extent, even though those two programs haven't always been the best programs in the conference. And, you know, Oklahoma sort of returned to prominence in terms of how they're playing football this year instead of just being prominent in terms of the, the public mentality. But it's it's telling that here's this excellent team in the Big 12, you know. One loss team clinched its spot in the Final Four, or should be clinched at least. And one of the things they sort of tout when they talk about, you know, why they belong there is a win over Tennessee. Which is once again not a bad program. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they had tremendous success for many years, and we always talk about, you know, the idiocy of getting rid of a really successful coach, whether it be Mark Richt or Phil Fulmer, or you know, the almost firing of Les Miles. We often talk about, well, well, what did that get you ultimately? You know, where are we with that ultimately? What's the what's the end game? It's, it's easy and it's fun to fire coaches. Not so easy. It's not so fun to figure out who the next person should be and and get them in place. So we'll see what happens with these programs that have made these moves. Now, of course, Les Miles has rather logically managed to um, hold on his job, but you have to wonder if this ends up affecting I mean, I'm sure it's already affecting how prospects see the program. Just the thought that he could possibly be fired, I would imagine, would affect the way prospects see the program. You know, so It'll be fascinating to see what happens going forward in terms of how prospects uh, decide 
you know, as they, make, you know, weigh these life-changing decisions. Uh, the fact that this extremely successful coach who most people would mention was a top 10 coach in college football, uh, you know, had his head on the chopping block so recently. Uh, Miami, of course, a lot of people are excited about Mark Richt, and I believe he will do well. There's been some criticism of the fact that this was apparently, you know, one coach consideration kind of situation. And it, you want to sort of let them off the hook, hey, it's so perfect, the timing, he's so successful, and, you know, Miami grad. But as has been pointed out, there are a lot of really qualified applicants of every race, every type, you know. I always bring up Robert and I and Manny Diaz as well as all the other, uh, you know, black, Hispanic, and, and some other Asian coaching candidates who can be Lolo. There's sometimes precious little consideration of, you know, the numbers. And, you know, Ruffin McNeil is going to hurt that number unless, of course, he's replaced by another African-American coach. But either way, the point isn't just to raise the number. The point is to raise the profile of these candidates who are deserving. I'm not talking about, you know, just going out and grabbing someone because they're black or Asian or Hispanic or a woman or what have you. I'm simply saying if you can't get in the room, you can't get the job. And this has been getting in the room. With the exception of Dino Babers, they've all been white guys pretty much. Um, you know, Tri Strong going to Texas a couple of years ago was a big move. You know, I thought, hoped that it might trigger a little bit more of a trickle. But the number has remained stagnant and, in fact, decreased over its peak. I think the peak at one point was 14, something like that. And that was when there were slightly fewer. There's been a couple more uh, FDS jobs added. At the FCS level, things are a little better, but that's mostly because the SWAC and the MEAC are playing at the FCS level so that, you know, it sort of ticks the number up. And then the number sort of drops back down at the D2 level, quite frankly. Um, there are some, you know, the SAAC and whatever, there are some black Division II schools, so that helps a little bit. And then in Division Three, the number is actually deplorable, for lack of a better way of putting it. There are very few black head coaches at the D3 level. Now, there are a variety of reasons. Sometimes we'll bring up the, uh, the numbers. Even a very successful D3 coach is making less than a coordinator at the FBS level at a big-time school, even a medium, you know, size program, you know, Southern Miss, Tulsa. So some people simply mention the economics of it. Uh, some black coaches frankly, need to make, you know, need to make uh, a certain amount of money in order to be able to, you know, take care of their, I mean, everybody needs to make a certain amount of money to take care of their family, things like that. But I think the point people make is that very often um, coaches that might have been candidates or could have been candidates for D3 jobs of whatever race pull themselves from that uh, head coaching pool because they're looking to make more money than most Division three schools can pay. and very often at Division three, not all the time, but some places expect you also, hey, you got, you need to teach as well. And some people may not have their master's or doctorates. In fact, only a handful of, of head coaches at any level have doctorates, about five or six, I believe. Uh, coach Leach, probably being one of them, and uh, Coach uh, 
Bayless down at Rice being amongst the most prominent, well-known of the doctor-coach uh, combinations. But uh, the point I'm making is that the demands are, are fairly great on you in terms of what you have to do because you have a smaller coaching staff, you're more involved in the day-to-day aspects of coaching. But if you don't want to deal with a lot of the other stuff that you deal with at some of the other levels, you know, you don't have to worry about the press as much. You know, you're talking to maybe a local reporter and a student reporter once or twice a week. If you're even during the season, you know, and maybe a little bit during the spring, if you're coaching at a small school, it's pretty much all football all the time. Uh, when you're at a small school level because there's not all the other stuff. You know, you just have to worry about getting kids in and, you know, a little bit about their academics, obviously, making sure that they meet certain standards. And then they go down and coach. You know, you're just, you do. You're a coach for real when you're coaching small school football. You're not a CEO, administrator, you know, public figurehead. And that's part of why, once again, I'll sort of kind of let Miami off the hook a little bit for the Mark Rick tire now. Culture fit, despite the fact he's from there. Uh, some people question, you know, he's known as a really nice guy and obviously a man with a very strong face. But those should be things that work <laughs> towards you, not against you. But there, are, some people have wondered if that's a great fit for Miami because they want to bring back their quote-unquote swagger, you know. So I don't know who they would want who would do that. I mean, outside of, like I said, hired Ray Lewis or Ed Reed or something, uh, which would be splashy and interesting and fun to see how that would play out. And they would probably recruit like nobody's business. But retention, like how many of those kids would stay? How many of those kids would think, oh, my gosh, what have I done? You know, this person's super exciting to be around and they're inspirational, but they don't – I'm not saying these guys don't know the game. I mean, these are high football IQ guys yeah, amongst the best of their positions in terms of football IQ and instincts ever, um, and certainly best in their era or amongst the best in their era. But – their coaching experience probably at this point consists of coaching their kids or, you know, youth league or whatever. I cannot stress to you how big a jump up that is. Uh, there's no words. I mean, not even high school, right? I mean, one thing if these guys have been successful high school coaches, and I'm sure these guys have been around high schools, probably their own high schools. If I go and, you know, drop some knowledge and maybe even sit down and watch film with the coaches at their schools or schools where their kids go or things like that and, you know, drop suggestions that are, probably taken delight in light of who they are. But that's so different from being a coach, really, you know, doing it for real, full-time, 24-7, 365. So it's fun to hear names like that tossed around, and it leads to, you know, good talk radio affair or whatever, but it's just not realistic. You can't have someone learn on the job <laughs> at that level. Uh, it's just It's just too much to ask, even if the guys are capable of it. You'd have a couple of really rough, People talk about in-game situations and management of things, and it's—I mean—you can have a really veteran staff around. There's things you could do to help, but it's just—it's just a terrible idea. If they have great success and everybody's like a genius, but the chances are that's not going to happen pretty early on. And then, you know, the the normal level of criticism would be off the whatever thing you want to throw out there that would be off of because you're trying this the way you're trying it with people who just aren't aren't ready for prime time, despite their level of talent in football and intellect. Uh, the Illinois job, you know, staying with Coach Cubitt. Once again, I'm not terribly critical. I think Coach Cubitt's a really good coach and teacher of West Coast offensive principles. 
and, you know, he's sort of tweaked that or his staff has tweaked that so that's a spreading-ish version of West Coast offense. But like I said, I'm not – it's no longer a destination hire. Things have changed in the days when guys would come from the NFL, Mike White, John McAvick, and set up shop at uh, Champaign-Urbana and, you know, draw – Guys like Jack Trudeau and and Tony Eason and Jeff George, who transferred in from Purdue. I mean, there was a time when New Zealand was a destination school for Midwestern quarterback types. Hey, if you don't go to Notre Dame, you don't go to Purdue, you go to U of I or Michigan. And that was it if you're staying in the Midwest. Uh, God bless Ohio State, but they didn't throw the ball. The era I'm talking about, they didn't throw the ball. You know, so if you wanted to really be a quarterback, you know, that, that wasn't a great spot to go. Uh, Earl Bruce began to sort of change that a little bit. Arch Leister, you know, helped. Joe Germain, you know, who got much a little later down the ride, and you had, you know, Trestle come in. But And now, of course, you know, it's a fine place for quarterbacks to be the right kind of quarterback to go. But I guess I'll touch on the case for Ohio State. I say it popped in my head. I'm clearly just sort of preforming a little bit until some of our guests, uh, Ryan Turner and some of the prospect guests, find their way here. Ohio State has the advantage, much like Oklahoma, much like Texas, much like USC, much like Notre Dame, Alabama, of being one of those first of to mind kind of schools. Hey, casual football fan, name a college football team. Alabama probably comes up first for a huge number of people, you know, especially if they don't have a strong rooting interest in one figure team. They're just thinking in general. And there's some other teams I'm sure that they will throw out, you know, and but they if you get them to 10 and they don't mention Ohio State, I'd be surprised. It's probably one of the first 10 schools most people will name. If you're just talking to casual football fans, that's a name, 10, 10 teams. I'm thinking Ohio State will probably come up, you know, 88% of the time or something. I don't know. I'm not sure what the number would be. But my point is that's a flagship program, once again. They've had a lot of big-name coaches going back a long time. You know, Paul Brown. I mean, just, you know, it's a who's who, right? Uh, Woody Hayes, Jim Trestle, you know, Trestle who'd had such success at Youngstown State. And now they've, you know, got Urban Meyer who's, I mean, outside of maybe Saban, he's the biggest coaching name in the country. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's, I don't think that's even really disputable. I mean, like I said, Saban is the guy that Maybe those things just ask casual fans to name a uh, college football coach. Those are almost always going to be the first two names. Maybe Les Miles, you know, has raised, ironically, has had his profile raised, but I'm sure that under normal circumstances, it's those two guys. I mean, mentioned in the first two, 90% of the time, probably, you know, because they're just, well, fun thing, they're enormously successful. These guys have won every place they've been. And Ohio State is a place where it's easy to win, but the perception is that there's only a couple of good teams in the Big Ten, and that's somewhat true. I mean, you have Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan's getting better. They're not there yet, but in a couple of years, Michigan could be probably right there with Ohio State and Michigan State. Michigan State's an excellent program. It has been for a very long time. They also have, you know, sort of a who's who, right? George Perlis and Duffy Doherty and, you know, Saban. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, um, Coach Antonio is a guy that is terrific head coach, right? Terrific head coach. Uh, in 
my mind, one of the top five or so coaches in the country, you know. So you can't do much better. He's not quite as well-known or flashy or whatever because his school, you know, despite all the successes, Michigan State is still – it's a flagship program, but it's a notch, a half notch below where people perceive Ohio State, people perceive Oklahoma, people perceive – you know, even though Texas is down, clearly, people perceive Texas as a flagship program more often nationally than people mentioning Michigan State as a flagship program. So there's a reason why people will still speculate about San Antonio where they would be less likely to speculate about some of the other guys just because as good as Michigan State is, people wonder if it's, you know, is it all that really? I believe, I believe we've been joined by the second hardest working man in Chicago sports media. I believe we have the nice one of the world. We have Mr. Montel Hardy, because they ain't no part of the Montel Hardy party, because the Montel Hardy party don't stop. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Montel Hardy. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey. Um, just talking a little bit of the coaching, quote-unquote, carousel, and then obviously today's games, and we should be joined by a couple of prospects as well. Um, I was sort of mentioning how certain coaches, they speculate about, you know, who's going where and things like that. And then for some coaches, the assumption is they, quote, unquote, arrive. Like, this is where they are. If they if they only leave this school to go to the NFL, you know, Saban, Myers, uh, people usually assume that Urban Meyer, if he leaves, I mean, I guess Notre Dame occasionally still gets brought up. But, uh, but the only other place he could go, except possibly Notre Dame, would be the NFL. And I don't know if that's something that, I mean, I guess it's in the back of every coach's mind, but I don't know if that's something that really drives him. Now, with Saban, I do kind of believe that's an itch that he'd like to re-scratch. People, some people say that, you know, no, he, you know, he's afraid of failure. No, I mean, you don't get to be a guy like Nick Saban if you're afraid of failure. That's, I mean, what about him makes you think he's afraid of, of well, almost anything? But if, if the right job came along, if the Cowboys' job became available, for instance, and Jerry called with this, you know, I mean, we know Jerry. It's going to be an obscene offer in terms of numbers. It's going to be one of those, oh, my God, are you kidding, numbers. Because, I mean, Jerry almost does that stuff for his own, you know, I mean, I'm going to say, I don't want to say he's jolly. But you know what I mean? Like, he's, he wants people to say, oh, my God, you're paying him that. Like, because he sees it as a business move. Because now, I mean, not that people aren't always interested in Dallas Cowboys anyway, but if he gets coach safe. You know, no offense to, 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 to Jason Garrett, who's done a decent job. But if at some point, you know, things go in the other direction, the team goes 3-13 and 13 next year or whatever, um, and he puts in the call and Saban takes the call, or not Saban, but Saban's people, his people, take the call, Jimmy Sexton takes the call, and the number is what I think the number might be in that situation. I'm not saying he leaves, but I'm saying he and the wife have to have a conversation. That's what I'm saying. Because you don't just not consider Jerry Jones' offers if that should ever happen. So people somewhat speculate about Saban because there's this feeling that he has something to prove at the NFL level. People speculate a little less about Urban because there's a sense that he doesn't have a brain desire to coach at the NFL level. Um, with less miles, there'll always be lots of stuff swirling around him now from this point forward. Every time they have a bad loss from this point forward, the machine's going to kick back into overdrive. 
see, who else is some of the top coaches? Uh, there's not yet, right? He's, to me, he's one of the top coaches, but you don't see the same level of speculation despite the fact that, I mean, if I'm going to back up the truck for a college football coach, for me it's Shaw and, and, and Antonio, um, one, two, quite frankly. And then, you know, no offense to Saban and Urban, but those are guys that I have. I mean, not to say that I don't think they would succeed at the next level, but David Shaw is basically an NFL coach now, just has me coaching at a college. Sort of like when Pete Carroll was coaching at USC. He was never really a college coach. He was just a pro coach coaching at college football. David Shaw comes from – where's his dad's Willie Shaw? He's been around pro football for his entire life, practically. Um, he has coached at the NFL level and was recognized and, um, you know, people sort of saw him as a coach on the rise with an assistant coach, you know, with the Ravens. And I just think he's as good as it gets in terms of just the X's and O's, right? Because he looks at who he's got and, and he coaches based on that. When he had luck, not to say that they were, you know, going crazy throwing the football, but they clearly had one of the more interesting and complex passing offenses in all college football when they had when they had luck. And then when they didn't have luck, he didn't try to force it. You know, he'd say, well, we're going to do this. No, he said, we're not going to do the same thing. We're just, I mean, they, they throw the ball still, but it's not the same. They've trimmed back. They've cut back. You know, they've gotten rid of some stuff, and then they put in some different stuff. You know, we saw, saw we had Christian McCaffrey, which originally, remember, he was uh, uh, last year. He was a... Uh, you know, he was a spice bat. You toss him in him for a little, but he wasn't the main course. But this year, he's the entree. He's and he's a little bit of the dessert. Uh, but yeah, if you're looking at the, we talked about what happened with the coach here, so who did and didn't or whatever. But who are the guys? If you are on someone's search committee, who are the guys you go after? You do prioritize Montel. Uh, sure. Uh, well, first off, Bill, I like to say that, you know, I'm a big D'Antonio fan too, but you know, if people don't find him to be that attractive, sexy hire, you know, he's, but he's about as real as they come to me. Um, he's a nose to grindstone kind of guy. Uh, and he's, uh, I think even now he's still an underrated developer of talent. Uh, so I think that's the type of thing you need, especially the campus that actually get some of these uh, four or five star guys. But moving on to coaches that I, you know, that I like. Uh, a, you know, I've been seeing his praises all week long. I'm glad Dino Babers finally got the offer. Uh, also got the MAC championship. Uh, just thrashed my Huskies, but <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, and then you know, I think uh, from an offensive standpoint, they're going to like what they see. Uh, they're going to do some different things, and, and he's been very good with quarterbacks. Uh, Guys that I think uh, could probably um, use a job is uh, Marshall's coach, Holiday. Uh, I think I mentioned him earlier in the week. Uh, he's he's done about as good as you you know would would expect a guy to do in a, one of the smaller conferences. Uh, I don't think he's had more than two losses a year in the past three four years. Competed with a team that it was never that great, but uh, I think he's held them together and they've been completely solid. Um, uh, so I think he'd be a, a very good candidate too. Um, I speak a lot on Mark Hudspeth. I'm just going to assume since he finally had that meh season, I don't think this year will be the year he'll be that high coaching candidate. One of these days, though, Bill, one of these days the job will open up. <laughs> and then, and then obviously, uh, Ruffin McNeil, uh, since he was fired. So, you know, was surprised I was doing some time on that. But, yeah, go ahead. I mean, uh, yeah, talk about was, what was, kind of coach, what kind of coach <laughs> you see him as being and where do you think he's a good fit if he were on someone's who who should have him on the short list? I guess what I'm saying. 
Uh, and this is why I gotta. I feel bad for the Illini, Bill, because I really think he fit in there. I really think his style of coaching, what he tried to do, oh man, it, it would be so good for them. But um, if uh, you know, obviously, if it's if that's not the move, uh, he needs to go to a team that I feel like is going to. Uh, you know, be open to, you know, uh, running the spread and then running their defensive scheme as well. I can't really, I mean, out of the jobs available, if I'm looking here, um, well, it would kind of be, no, it would be counterproductive. I mean, out of, out of the jobs available, I don't know if I see him really as the smoothest fit in some of these schools. Um, you know, I'd like to say, you know, I really think he might have been a better candidate for that. Well, maybe not better than Scott Frost, but still a decent candidate for the Florida job or South Florida mm-hmm. job. So yep. uh, I saw that. I think that'd be smooth for him. But um, Central Florida. Uh, yeah, Central Florida. Florida. I'm sorry. Has, I has, a, has, a, has, a, has a, actually a sort of sexy coach on the rise himself in Willie Taggart, who I think is going to start hearing his name mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, if not this season, the next, if things continue. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, those those are my guys. Uh, sorry if I missed the playoff talk, but this week's going to be very exciting. <laughs> oh, there's always going to be more playoff talk. Uh, we'll never until they actually happen. We'll never stop talking about them. And I agree with you on a lot of the coaching names you threw out there. A few other names that I think, if like I said, if not this year, the next. I think Manny Diaz is a guy that. You know, and I don't care how much I don't know how much you will care about ethnic diversity or whatever. I guess it's not a huge deal as we've seen in most of these hires, but uh he'd be one of just a handful of, of uh Hispanic coaching candidates and beyond his you know, his ethnic background, he's a hell of a coach. And I think he's going to be a very good head coach somewhere soon. Uh he's ready, I think, to take that step up to the next level uh, in terms of coaching. He's been a really Highly respected defense coordinator, and of course, is briefly, you know, a head coach at the, the you know, uh, mid-major, I guess is the term people are trying to, sort of basketball term people are trying to adapt to football level in the past. Uh, pretty good recruiter, terrific motivator, and like I said, a really good teacher of, of defense. So that's a guy that I always keep an eye out for. A guy whose name I don't understand why I don't hear more is Robert Anal. Extremely well-respected, veteran assistant who's coached with legends, you know, coached with some great, great names throughout his his coaching career. Uh, He's a favorite on the uh, coaching clinic circuit. His his, uh, talks are always very well attended. People steal his ideas all the time. And when I say steal his ideas, I mean, they're ideas that he's learned from guys that he's coached with. So, I mean, no one really knows that I'm kidding when I say steal, but he has, he's a guy that is influential to high school coaches in his area and, like I said, nationally uh, because, you know, people just love Robert and I's, uh, you know, coaching clinic. He's a terrific teacher. And, like I said, a guy I think I'm shocked, frankly, that he hasn't been offered a head coaching job at one of the various, you know, one step below Power 5, uh, whatever, you know, in Conference USA or uh, – you know, the AAC or whatever. I mean, maybe he will, but I just, I wonder why his name isn't heard more often, like I said. He's a really, really good coach and has been one for a long, long time. And once again, I don't know how much people care about the whole diversity thing, but he'd be one of a very short number of Asian Pacific Islander coaches, uh, along with Ken Niamasololo and 
and Norm Chow, and Norm Chow is, you know, off the ropes. He's on the ropes. Um, I mean, the program, in fact, is going to sit on the ropes, and I, I hope that Hawaii is going to lose their program, first and foremost. It's a hard place to win. It made you appreciate what, uh, what June Jones did for all those many years. And you look back and you think, that guy won 8 to 11, I mean, you know, games regularly out there with, you know, being essentially this far-flung outpost in the world of college football that essentially gets all of its talent either from the island or junior colleges, uh, the, the other Polynesian islands in California. And it's so far out there that teams get to add an extra game on their schedule if they play you, which is an inducement that is necessary because without that, they wouldn't be able to put together a full schedule. So, you know, it sort of makes you re-appreciate June Jones, I guess is what I'm saying. And when you look at what he did for all those years under the circumstances that he did. Ah, so you've been joined by gentleman James Coburn. How are you doing, Jim? Uh, pretty good. Excellent. So we're going to talk a little coaching carousel. They're going to break down some of the matchups in, you know, statue lifting Saturday, as I sometimes call it. And uh, and then at some point, hopefully soon, we'll be joined by some of the, the prospects to start coming on next morning or something. But um, if you were on somebody's search committee and you're trying to find the right coach for some of these jobs that are still out there, who are some of the guys you'd have at or near the top of your list, Nate Silver? Wow, right now. Um, I don't know. They're all gone. Uh, they all got hired. Uh, <laughs> I, I beg to differ. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, of course you can beg to differ. But, I mean, you know, they're they're, they're off the list. Uh, so, because, uh, again, I'm a celebrity hire. You know, I'm going for the big oh. name. Oh, you okay. Know, going for the... <laughs> I'm going for the splashy hire. I'm going for the guy that's like, and we get high fives and stuff, you know, uh, when I was on campus uh, type guy. Because, uh, you know, if I hire somebody else, he's like, who the heck is this guy? It's like, oh, he's, he's a good coach. So, so you're so you're, you're co-signing on Montel's thoughts about Mark D'Antonio, that that's not a guy that gets you high. No matter how good a coach he is, you won't get high fives. Is that what you're saying? Well, are you talking about, like, hiring Mark D'Antonio from Michigan State? Well, if you can get Bronco Mendenhall out of BYU, why is it so unthinkable you could pry loose? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, where, I mean where, where exactly is he coaching, though? I mean, like, yeah, well, he's not moving to another Big Ten call. I mean, unless he's going to the SEC. Are you really considering Mark D'Antonio going to the SEC? He's coached in the SEC before, not as a head coach, but as an assistant. Right. Um, I mean, I, uh, you wouldn't get high fives, but people would be like, okay, I see what you're doing, coach. You know, like that sort of, sort of thing. I mean, it's not so bad. It's not like I'm going to go to the deli and they're going to, like, put stuff in my sandwich, you know, and be like, oh, you should have hired the right. You should have hired Lane Kiffin. This is what you deserve. You know, but, uh, Man, I'm, I'm just trying to think because, like, you know, Justin Fuente off the list. Tom, Tom yep. Herman's still in play. Herman's still in play. 
that, that, that buyout has some, his buyout has some interesting little uh, codicils in it. If, those, if you've read it, oh, oh, what, like, what are some of the little? Oh, okay, so uh, there's the amount of the buyout drops precipitously if Houston doesn't uh, add on to their current athletic facilities. So there's some votes, some trustee votes uh, that will determine if it's this enormous prohibitive buyout or just sort of a, oh, you know, <laughs> I can handle that buyout. So there is an escalator clause in his, in the mm. buyout portion of his contract. Yep. Mm. So it, so if they don't add on to the facilities to include improvements to the weight room, improvements to the uh, indoor practice facility and, oh, you know, I'm an old man. My memory is what it used to be. But uh, right. improvements to... They don't to, make stuff look nice. I'm leaving. Basically, yes. That's kind of what... <laughs> better, you want to boil it better, better clean your room and, 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 and do the dishes. Otherwise, I ain't coming back. Right. His buyout goes from, like, you know, like 10 to 2.5 or something like that if you if they don't wow. execute some of these other things. Yeah, exactly. 2.5, nothing nowadays. <laughs> there's, there's 2.5? Uh, what? Well, see, there you go. Still, still, still in play. Now, I don't know mm-hmm. Tom Herman. I don't know the man. Um, so I can't really tell you motivation. I don't know what motivates him, right? You know? Is he a guy that likes money? Is he a guy who likes power? Like I don't know these things 100%. Well, but, let me tell you this much. He is a head football coach who largely grew up under Urban Meyer. I'll let you draw whatever conclusions you want to from that. Okay. All right. Um, but, but even then, it's like, you know, I don't know. But, but like, Urban Meyer, I get the sense he's a guy who likes prestige, you know, <laughs> type. You know, he likes that stuff. Uh, you know, and he and he's uh, doesn't mind bending the rules, you know, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, and you know, like not like legally, but you know, things that you know, unwritten rules, right? Okay, right, 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 right. You know, it's like when he showed up in the Big Ten, and there was sort of a gentleman's agreement about, you know. Ver- about uh, if a guy had given a solid verbal or whatever, he'd come back off and right. he's like, "Stay away from <laughs> you. Stay away from Urban Meyer. You stay away. I'll blow your head off." Like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm Urban Meyer. You know, like, geez. You know, Saban is kind of a control freak. You know what I mean? Like, he's he wants total control. He likes his money. He likes yeah. to have space to, to bury the bodies, you know, that pile up at times, you know, that he accumulate, which I don't know where the bodies are, but, I mean, somebody does, you know. Maybe like Kiffin does, who knows. But, uh, you know, he's that type of guy, you know. He, he wants total, complete control over everything. Uh, and if he doesn't get that, he's going to be a little, you know, a little upset. Yeah, well, you know, about stuff. Uh, Tom Herman, that's really a good feel. I know what he likes to do. He likes to do metrics. He likes, he likes yeah. and I just know that because the people inside the organization is that he's very heavily into, you know, bringing in different statistical models and stuff to help the program in terms of recruiting, in terms of uh, weightlifting, in terms of nutrition, in terms of yep. everything. So, 
you know, which is probably why he wanted all the improvements to the weight room and the, you know, facilities and all that kind of stuff. And the, you know, the little statistical model showed, hey, if we get this, we can win more games by this percentage and stuff like that. Well, it's probably not like that, but, you know, it's be better. So uh, Tom Herman would still be probably the top of the list, and he's the hottest name. He's kind of the least proven guy. Uh, and I forgot the actual term for Machiavelli, but it's the guys who, you know, who earn it through decades worth of solid work versus the guys who earn it because they got hot all of a sudden, you know, they're the Messiah type guys. He's a little bit of a Messiah type guy. He, he hasn't, I mean, he's, he's went to Ohio State, then went to Houston, turned around in one year. So not a guy who's, been working and digging his claws in the dirt for 30 years and now he gets a job. Uh, he's a little bit of a, you know, there, there's there's not a total complete resume there, but but I mean, but, but he's shown what he can do with Carl Jones. He's shown what he can do at Houston. So, you know, he's a guy that definitely would be probably the top of the list. Uh, the second guy is Dino uh, Babbers. Uh, I still think he's going to UCF. I know that uh, whatever their name is, Bowling Green, is like, no, he's totally staying here, guys. I, I tell you, he's staying. He told us. But uh, I I don't know. I, I think that UCF is a program that he would enjoy coaching at. So I, I still think that that's where he's going to end up going uh, when it's all said and done. Um, so I mean that that's just kind of kind of view that. Uh, who else? Wait, well, this, wait, hold on. Didn't Scott Frost get that job? Oh, Scott Frost? Didn't Scott Frost get that job at UCF? Didn't he? I don't know. Well, let me let me check. Yeah, yeah, Bill. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying. Um, you know, so I yeah. I, 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 I talked to you guys. Yeah, a couple of days yep. ago, I was like. Um, yeah. I'm really disappointed that, you know, it looks like Babers is staying in, in Western Michigan. But, uh, yeah, no, oh. Scott Frost got the job. Yeah. And uh, right. that's why yeah, I thought Bowling Green. Yeah, Bowling Green may or may not hold on to Babers, but he's not headed to UCF. That much we can tell you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, wow, okay. Then, you know, Babers is available. There you go. Yes, he uh, is. He's very much available. <laughs> Uh, and his yeah. buyout is his buyout is nothing. <laughs> I mean, almost oh. literally nothing. I mean, I'm exaggerating only slightly. It's it's a couple hundred grand, I think. Exactly. You know, it's like subway and some chips. You know, like there you go. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of there. Uh, Link Hiffin would probably be on the list because why not? I know you guys are like. <laughs> but, uh, the Mark Rick hire really ruined my dreams of, of, of Kiffin in Miami, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I still think that Kiffin would be interesting, kind of where he ends up. Uh, the Rutgers job is still apparently still open. Al Golden yep. is the guy, but Chiano could like you know fly in on a flaming horse with MRSA and go, ha ha, give me that my job. And all will be forgiven. So, uh, yeah. Like, what do I, oh, wow. what do I do? Now? And I would, 
would imagine Matt Rule will have to get a phone call regarding that job as well. Yeah. I mean, certainly if I were at Rutgers, he would. You know what's funny? Um, All these coaching jobs open. And, you know, maybe it's out of curiosity. I know sometimes you can burn a bridge. But Bo Pelini, you know, is just out here. He's coaching this FCS Oh, I know. I love Bo Pelini. (laughs) I mean, I, I'm just saying, you know, if you're a school that, I mean, obviously it looks like Power 5 might not want him, but he can't possibly, you know, oh, desire him. Oh, come on, get back to Power 5. Bo, Bo Pelini is, I mean, now he's a lot of things that you can say are negative, mm-hmm. but he's a very interesting coach to watch. So yep. I would he's say. He's a 9-3 three coach, too. Exactly. Well, well think, about, think about this. If East Carolina brings in the Pelini brothers, right? Because you know he's going to bring his brother Carl with him as his D coordinator. Suddenly, the black shirts, right? I mean, the whole pirate thing. I mean, I mean, he's not going to, he's not going to call them black shirts. They'll come with something for everybody. He looks to call his defense, you know, the brigands or whatever they are. It's going to change the personality clearly. I mean, not that. I mean, Russ McNeil was a defensive coach as well, but he just come from Texas Tech and brought some Texas Techish stuff with him. With Polini, it's going to be a, a slightly different feel. And, of course, I was just reminded that one of Polini's quarterbacks, Zach Taylor, like Zach Taylor is now the man, talk about moments that made me feel old. Like, Zach Taylor, you were playing in Nebraska like five minutes ago. How are you the offensive coordinator of the Miami Dolphins? What the heck? But um, clearly, Polini's is out there, and I don't know if he's holding out for, I don't know what he's holding out for. I mean, I don't know if he's a guy who's been humbled to the point where he would pick up the phone if, you know, Illinois or East Carolina. I mean, I know Illinois supposedly is fine with Cubit, but, dude, if I can get both uh, leads, that's <laughs> what he's going to at least make that vote, Paul. I would, I mean, you just got to follow your line and say, hey, we'll eat this contract right now and hire a guy that. <laughs> I mean, if, if you can't get a high night football, you know, alumni here for anything, it should be for that. So, something like that. Why not? Oh, hell, hell, hell. Why not if Fellini would keep Cubit on as, you know, assistant head coach and OT coordinator? Because I don't think Cubit's an ego guy. From what I've I've been at some of his press conferences, he seems like a like almost not zero ego. You don't get the head coach in college football, but as low ego as a big-time college football coach can be, he seems to be that, if that makes sense. True, but, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how fun is working with Bo Pelini? Um, <laughs> if you don't know and you're not related to Bo Pelini, I'm just curious. <laughs> like, I, I don't imagine it to be a bed of roses, but uh, sure, you know, maybe try to work it out. I mean, you're going to pay him anyway, I guess is what it comes down to. You're going to pay Cuban anyway. Exactly, you're going to pay him anyway. <laughs> and you can pay him to be a silent. So right, you can stay on the stairs. He's very good at hiding. You know, like, all right, uh, ten seconds hide, and then he goes, "Where'd he go? Where'd Cuban go?" Yeah, so like that. That's how that kind of works. I mean, Illinois basically is like, we're gonna still be Illinois. That's what we're gonna do. So, uh, I, you know, I, think, I, I you guys, I, you guys, younger, remember this, but it was once a destination school. For quarterback, it used to be a good. It used to be a good school. In the 80s, it used to have lots of talent. I mean, in the nineties, it had lots of talent. Now it's just it's Illinois, you know. 
They're just, you know, mad, you know. My, my point is that the things that allowed Illinois to be successful in the past, most of those things haven't changed that much. Now, more teams in the Midwest throw the football, so you can't sort of automatically get all the hot quarterback prospects like you used to because back when Ohio State didn't really throw the football, Michigan threw it a little bit, and Purdue was the only other school that threw the ball a lot, but they weren't, weren't all that good usually. So that part of the landscape has changed. But still, you should be dominating the, the football landscape of the Chicagoland area, no offense to Northwestern, um, simply because most of those kids can't get in. But they are. That's something that blows my mind. They don't recruit the inner city of Chicago. Of course not. At all, let's see. Hardly at all. No, nope, no. Nope. And, and, and not for basketball either, which is actually the even worse uh, look. For right. them, but. Well, they're both crimes. The only question is, I mean, in basketball, not that it's an excuse, but if you have a pipeline from some other place, you only need two or three really good players, and then the rest of them are, you know, guys who don't turn the ball over much. In football, you need a lot of dudes. You know, you need a bunch of guys. You can't have two or three good players and skate off of, you know, and be okay. It doesn't work that way in football. You've got to have 30 really good guys and then 25 right. decent guys. You can't well, afford here, to not recruit the city of Chicago. Here, here, but here's how you fix this, all right? You can stick to that model of not hiring the inner city because you're afraid to get shot by hiring the Navy coach. So you hire the Navy coach, you go to triple option attack, you don't necessarily need the best athletes to run that type of system, and then you become like a Georgia Tech of the Big Ten. Huh. And, and you know what? They might be sneakily competitive at times in, in time, and I think that's probably the funny part. That's a that's an interesting idea. And, yeah, no major yeah, Midwestern team has been triple option in a very right. long time, so nobody's seen time. it much. But, but you can't get the quarterback. You're not getting the top, you know, the top of the top in terms of, like, talent. You know, you're not getting five-star recruits. You're not no. going to be stealing people sense. from Ohio State, right? You know? So yep. you have to do a new strategy. Well, one way to do that is a triple option at that. Yeah, huh. James, when life gives you lemons, right? You know? Huh. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. I mean, I- Hey, I mean, it'd be fun to see a flex zone team in the Big Ten because there's never been one. I mean, there were triple option teams, old school triple option, you know, many, 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 many years ago. And, I, you know, but since the 1970s, uh, nobody's run triple option in exactly. the Big Ten area. So nobody's seen I mean, None of the coaches have it's seen it back. recently, let alone the players. <laughs> it's coming back. I mean, it, it, it's something where – I'm just saying, if you're if you're a team that has recruiting disadvantages and you don't want to work hard, I mean, well, of course you still have to work hard. <laughs> if you don't want to have to get as lucky, I guess that's where to put it, because you don't need as much luck. You need a lot more luck to build a traditional offense, a traditional defense. You need to build, you know, uh, a triple option attack. So I would say that that would be the best. If you're Illinois and you've been terrible for a while, this will give you an identity. This will open up your recruiting base to other. This will open up your recruiting base to other talent that's undervalued because so and so quarterback may not be the top guy at some place, but he may be the top guy to you. So you end up getting that guy, you know, because he's more of a dual threat kind of guy, you know, more of a triple option quarterback. So, uh, I mean, it just 
gives you more options, you know? So, I don't know. I mean, that's just my whole thing, I guess. Well, it's a fascinating... Huh. It's a fascinating... I have to think about it now. Um, and and, and general, who cares? Who cares what other people think? That's that's my thing. Right. Like, who cares? If we're kicking Ohio State's ass because they don't like the triple option, which they don't, every time they play the triple option, Bosa mad. They trick me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yep. Like, and, then, <laughs> and then on top of it, you keep the game close, James. You're dominating TLP, and you're keeping the game close. Exactly. You're going to get wins. And when you're really good and you're executing at a high level and you get the right quarterback, you may even go all the way. This is very true. It's very true. And you did it by running right, left, and up the gut. And people are going to lose their money. Yep. Huh. Huh. Oh. Now, supposedly, BYU has him on their short list. Um, I'm hoping they just stick with Robert and I. Uh, that, to me, would be an awesome situation. One is because we get another very deserving uh, Asian-slash-Pacific Islander coach, a coaching job who's been sitting around. Not sitting around. I mean, he's been coaching his butt off for 20 years. But, I mean, he's, he's talking about a guy who's done his work in the vineyards. I mean, Robert and I has done his work in the vineyards. Um, but you may or may not know this. In order to be considered for the uh, for a coaching position at Brigham Young, you do have to be an active member of the LDS Church. That is a thing. Like you can't bring in Bob Stoops, you know what I mean, or Mike Stoops, or Mark Stoops, or whatever. You can't bring in a Catholic. You can't bring in you know Urban Meyer. You can't bring you know you can't bring in whatever it is that Nick. Satan, um, Saban, Saban is. Um, you you have to be a member, an active member of the LDS Church. So their coaching tree or coaching list, I mean, it's a short one. I mean, they're looking at Robert and I, who is an LDS member, Lance Anderson, um, Tim Niamakalolo, and then I mean, I don't know if they don't get one of those guys. I don't know what they're going to do. But I mean, an I they can get because they're already on the staff. So I guess we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that because you you can't just sort of pick from anybody in the world. True. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see if he um if he does land there. Um plus his son, as you may know, currently plays there now at BYU. So there's some stuff. Uh, that sort of uh huh. might hmm. help BYU to land him. But I, I like your ideas. I think Purdue, of all places, would be more likely to try it. Um, I think U of I has a, still has a perception of itself, though unrealistic as it is, that they are – how do I put this? That they're just a coach and a couple of recruiting classes away from battling it out with Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan really? State. I, don't, I know it sounds crazy. I know really? what you're thinking. I, who are I'm just, I, 
the people who run the athletic department at U of I is who these people are. If you have that mentality, you need to be like Girl Scout going door to door selling cookies in those inner city and those project towers because that's the only way you're going to beat Urban Meyer is to get out there, get into those into those yeah. inner city areas. Otherwise, you're yep. not. It's not happening. And frankly, start hitting up the junior colleges heavy as well. Something they haven't done that much of in the past either. Here's, you're right, Bill. Uh, Joliet Junior College has always yielded a few stars. Right, oh, always uh, good, and it's right there. Um, and, and, and let's not forget that, um, you know, like like Phillips, like, Phillips, uh, they they made history. You know, one of the first public uh, CPS schools to win a state. Yep. So I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's there. You know, you, you want to. I mean, if you're good, I should be able to find you. You know, I don't. I don't know why not. You know, but it's not that hard to find. I mean, we're not talking about driving the back roads of of southwestern Oklahoma. I mean, there's these are places other than the fact that you made fear for your safety or whatever. But these are places are difficult to find, like literally difficult to find. Th- these are well, you know, that there's good communication and transportation nets all throughout the city of Chicago and the surrounding area. But for whatever reason, they're more interested in you know, working the suburbs and, you know, the south and southwestern part of the state and competing with Missouri for those kids in the Belleville and, and Altoff and uh, uh, Some of these kids aren't even good, Bill. They're going out here to, you know, the Belleville and, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say it, you know, they, they need a certain type of athlete and he's not in Belleville. <laughs> you know, like, um, they, they didn't do not in uh, some of these kids are in Joliet, you know, but yeah. but there yeah. but there's a whole bunch of these kids to be found, and sometimes you got to go to Corliss, and sometimes you got to go to the Crime, Violence, and Sex uh, CDS uh, High School, sometimes mm-hmm. you got to go to uh, you know uh, uh, Simeon or wherever, and you just got to develop and don't don't go there once, <laughs> you know, you have to go develop relationships. Like you do with these other coaches in these other places, develop relationships, get to know them, remember where their wife's birthday is, all that crap you do for these suburban coaches. Yep, do it for the city coaches. Because if John Makovic could do it, or you know his assistant could do it, right? You know his kids went to Percy Julian High School and found him. Um, what's his name? Who's who works for the Big Ten Network now? Uh, Howard Griffin, right? Somebody yep. went to Percy Julian High School and grabbed Howard Griffin. Somebody went to. Um, um uh God. Um what do you call it? Uh well I guess they do work the Catholic schools a little bit. But they but somebody went over to um uh Mount Carmel and grabbed Simeon Rice. Somebody went to these schools and got these kids. Well I know who went to I know who went to that was that was my old boss, Lou um I'll be blowing my brain. Um uh it'll come back to me. But yes. Um, you know, I know who went and worked that school and got um, uh, Simeon Wright. I mean, it's not impossible to do. That's, thing, the, that, that's why it is they believe it, Jim, because they've seen it done. Now it's been 20-some-odd years, but it can be done. You can yeah, go into these schools and get the kids. people to do it, though. Like, you keep going, it can be done, and yet you don't do the things necessary to make that change happen. So... Like, right. what's the point? You're never going to do it that way. If you don't want to go in the inner cities because 
you're afraid. The phones work in those parts of town, by the way. Well, not all of them. But, uh, but uh, and also the exits aren't always, you know, sometimes they're blocked and you're like, holy crap, there's an exit spot. But, yeah, uh, I would say that you just have to understand, if you're not going to do that, then you have to do it with scheme. And the, the right. hottest thing, right. I'm just saying, I'm, I, I'm a college football person, like you and everybody else. We watch a lot of college sure. football. And right. the one thing I know is that you can take a school that doesn't have the best recruiting imaginable, give them a triple option attack where you don't need you, – you, you, your needs are different. Like, it's not that you are getting easier at recruiting. It's just that you're – the people that you're recruiting are totally different than what Alabama's trying to recruit, you know. Totally yeah. different than what you know, all these other so you're opening up your chances to getting more of those guys and getting more of those players that you need. So you get an advantage right there. And then, of course, when the games actually are played, you get the advantage of teams going up against you and going, you know, we had to do, you know, 10 extra hours of film work on you guys because we don't go against this that much. And then right. when you get in the game – they don't play you that much, and they still have issues in terms of during right. the game of trying to. And, and our scout team, stuff. you know, when we're, when we're our scout team, which you know had six days basically or whatever to learn how to try to run this offense they'd never seen before in their lives. Then you throw into that that um, most teams don't let their scout team cut their starting D linemen in practice, so nope. you're not really getting a real look at it unless you're letting them cut them. Which most guys say no to. It's like, And and by the way, the cutting and I'm not again, I'm not wishing injury upon any player or any person, but it sends a strong message that we are gonna beat you by any means necessary. So, you know, if we're gonna cut you, we're gonna cut you. If we're gonna do trickeration, we're gonna do trickeration. You know, we're gonna do whatever it takes to beat you. So uh, if we have to get a little, you know, you'd say dirty, unconventional, the you know, unconventional warfare, that's what we're going to do, you know. Um, we're going we're gonna to take you out that way. So I'm just waiting for the Big Ten to do that because the ACC has their, you know, triple option, you know. They sure do. At Church Tech. Uh, the Pac-12, it's not there yet, but – I mean, Oregon's not that far off. I mean, it's not 100 percent triple option, but you know, it's, it's, like, it's spread option. It's basically spread. spread option. It's spread option, but it's just a little, a little tweaks here and there, and ta-da, triple option. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that the Big Ten, if they just have one team in there that goes, let's be triple option. We're we're not very good at recruiting, or at least we don't want to do the things necessary to be good at recruiting. So let's just do these certain things. That could do that, and it could get back on top. Yeah. Or I disagree. Cubit uh, is it? Cubit Corbett. Uh, yes, Coach Cubit. Yes, his he and his son Ryan, former uh, outstanding quarterback at Western Michigan, are there on staff. Right. Uh, you hire that guy, and you continue doing what you're doing. It's just this time you don't uh, hide injuries and try to push players to start that aren't 100% healthy. 
And yeah, no, I, guess I didn't you mean could try <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, like I said, he wasn't coming back from the ACL, like I told you, Phil. I know you kept saying he was coming back. I said, nope. Well, well that's, only because, crazy. that's only because the, the athletic department, you know, was providing yeah. information that indicated he would around. probably come back you somewhere have, after the sixth You should have told that athletic the... department to shove it. You guys are crazy. <laughs> he ain't coming back. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't like Madden. This isn't speedy recovery. This isn't like magic, and you guys have a formula that that heals faster than everybody else. Like even though the athletic department was telling you that, I'm just saying you should have you should have went, huh? <laughs> I wonder if a scandal is going to happen sooner or later. <laughs> yes, I guess that's what I should have said to myself. I wonder if this is going to happen before or after the the scandal to come. <laughs> Yeah, there have been whispers, obviously, even the year before, when I've been whispers, uh, things, uh, suits filed, I guess, is what I'm looking for. But they they definitely had some issues. And the one thing you can say about Coach Cubit is, you know, someone who's coached his own son, he clearly has, you know, a level of care and concern for the players that, has been demonstrated to be higher than what was found in the past. I'll say that. I'll say that much. Okay. All right. We'll see. See if he cares. And it's interesting to bring up a guy like Ken Niamatololo. Now, I believe in a bidding war in terms of just, you know, straight cash only. You know, I could probably hold some with BYU if they wanted to. Oh yeah, they haven't. They, they haven't. They haven't backed up the truck though in a long time. I mean, basically since Makovic was the last time they had a, a big time hire that they really paid, you know, in the top ten or so percentile amongst coaches in the nation. They haven't been in that area in a long time. True. Um, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I mean, BYU would be more appealing. Um, yeah. They do have more, more of a history of success. Yeah. Uh, recently, uh, they they do speed option stuff, which is not far off from triple option. So it's just taking the next step, you know, in that line of thinking. Right. And and he he knows about other kinds of football. It's not like he's never, you know, <laughs> Again, I, I think that's silly when people, you know, when people are like, oh, you're triple R, so you can't do other stuff. No, that's kind of BS. Football is football. Like, you know, it's the same time, it's just you're executing at a higher level. Like, the intricacies get a little more complex, but you're still with the medical school. You still learn the basics. So, you're right. He's uh, a pretty bright guy. Yes, that is very much true. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> he decided to get a triple option. Where he's I mean, he's right. Well, he because of Coach Johnson. You know, I mean, he coached under him. But he's when he played himself, he was not playing triple option football. He's familiar with other guys, and he's coached before he coached under Coach Johnson other types of football. He's familiar with other stuff, and you can even see it sometimes. I mean, when maybe half of the football, they don't look half bad doing it. They look better than Georgia Tech. When they, you know, and some of the other triple options when they do have to throw the football. Keaton Reynolds is not embarrassing himself. I think he's, at one point, maybe this is the true anymore, but at one point he had a higher percentage completion, a higher completion percentage at one point than Connor Cook. 
Uh, now that may no longer be true. I have to check to see if those numbers have changed. But at what point? At what point? Well, that is quite a few guys that you might want to put on the more accurate than Connor Cook list. But, yeah. I mean, but my point is, they are, those guys aren't running triple option. I guess is what I was trying to say. You don't often see triple option quarterbacks throw at sixty percent time, or even the high fifties. I mean, generally triple option quarterbacks. I mean, I'm not doing any sort of statistical work. I'm just going off of what I've seen in the 40-odd years of college football. Usually they're completing at about 49%. Like, if you're, if you're around 50% as a triple option quarterback, you're like, yeah, not bad. You know, so Keenan Reynolds, who should be a Heisman finalist, we'll see what happens, but is a pretty good passer, considering, once again, that he's basically throwing the ball only when – Usually, either when you're trying to take the team by surprise or when something's gone wrong in the game plan. Like, it's never worked out like you. Generally, if you're throwing the football, something, like I said, either you're sort of taking advantage of a, of a, you know, hey, we're surprising you, or, you know, uh-oh, we're down 24 points, or that kind of thing. So, it's not usually optimal passing situations, and still he's having a fair amount of success, I guess. But that's trying to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Kenny Reynolds was uh, um, the same – Impressions I had when I saw Raheem Cato, I had of a uh, of a uh, Reynolds only in that you know the NFL will never like him, especially because he's triple option quarterback. Well, I mean, automatically he's on most people's rankings as a athlete. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't even see people bother putting him at quarterback in their rankings. Yeah, well, I mean, at least Raheem Cato was being by some people was being evaluated as a quarterback. True. The uh, he was on the Randall's was on the Heisman vote. He was taken off just a week, a few days ago. So. Taken off. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah what do you Cole, do? He, he didn't have proficient passing numbers for a quarterback, is what I would believe. But he was he was getting a, a decent share of the vote. Like, I mean, obviously not you know the majority, but well, um, to be a finalist. I, I don't know if they'll add him back on or ESPN addressed it yesterday. I just didn't read the whole article, but. I might pull I it up guess, I, guess, I guess he got a ton of votes, you know, when Veterans Day was around, and then since that passed, it's like, well, you know, we'll go back to Derrick Henry and the uh, and the other people. So, <laughs> I guess. Uh, that's just, I don't even want to get into how many different ways that is a shame, <laughs> but uh, – he clearly Heisman deserves voting. to be at the high school I mean, Do we trust these guys? I mean, do you really trust Heisman voters to – I mean, I, I've gotten over it. I'm not bitter about it because it, it is what it is. It's like the Oscars, right? Like, I don't think all their movies are the best, but – I mean, most, most of them are pretty good, though. But I'll just say that sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. Same thing with the Heisman is that, you know, it, 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 it is what it is. It's the best offensive player award, you know, is what it is. So – uh, quarterbacks and running backs. It's the best offensive more. player award but, from a certain select list of schools. Right. You really from want to get down what it is. Of, of Power Five conferences, and you better be in the national championship hunt, and you better have had played well when you were on television, you know, at a, in a primetime spot on the East Coast. I mean, here's the crazy so, thing. If you're a running back at Purdue and you go eight crap, you catch yeah. 80 balls for 940 yards. You return kicks. You have three returns for touchdowns. And you right. rush for 2,100 yards at Purdue. And you carry Purdue from the dregs to, like, eight and four. 
You still right. have no shot at the Heisman. No. Mm-hmm. No. What's with Devontae Booker? Devontae Booker has a great, has had a great season. I know he got injured, but he had a great season. Zero Heisman love. Why? Because he plays the Pac-12. Christian McCaffrey, you know, leading in all-purpose yards. Nah, nah, Pac-12. <laughs> nah, nah. That's terrible, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I don't trust any man-made college football committee, though. Since we're on the topic, I just sorry. <laughs> maybe machines oh, are. What, what about the football committee? I was just saying I don't trust any assembled committee in college football. For oh, any... I love football committees because you can influence them. You, know, you give them free hats, free tickets, uh, red lobster gift certificate, right? You know. Uh, to, to vote a certain way, so um, I mean, how else are you going to do it? I mean, that's what I usually say. Either you put a czar in charge of it, which everybody hates that, or you make a committee. You know, so you do a committee style, then you know it. I mean, how else are you going to decide these things? I guess I don't know. I mean, if you had the NCAA the Final Four, people would lose their minds. You know, that's true. Like that guy has that much control over everything, and you know, like that sort of stuff. Well, but I don't know. But the Heisman. I mean, the Heisman's going to be. I mean, Derrick Henry's there because he's from Alabama. McCaffrey might get there. Like, like show up. Night, you know, he'll be in his Sunday best. You know, show up there and stuff like that. But he, he's not going to win anything. Uh. There might be a quarterback, possibly. You gotta but, tell me who, James. Yeah, you gotta tell me who now. Uh, the Clemson quarterback because he plays at Clemson. Yeah, he should Maybe. be a finalist at the very least. Yeah. Um, Dalvin Cook might get there, but probably not because he got injured. Leonard Fournette will probably get there, but I, and I don't even understand. Like Leonard Fournette didn't really do anything wrong. It was just kind of like nope. bad Leonard Fournette, bad. You know, you Derek Henry. They didn't want like, him to crush Alabama. That, that was it. I mean, it just kills me how you went from distant first before that game to, uh, well, what, third? <laughs> like, not even second. Some people, you know, wouldn't even have him a second. I would have him as first, though, to be honest with you. But um, he is a sophomore, too, guys. So, you know, this isn't his yeah. last row. Yeah. So, you know, Leonard Fournette there. And then uh, who's the other running? I think that's, that's all that comes to mind in terms of, like, readily. I know people are going to say Baker Mayfield, but I'd lose my mind if that happened. But, um, <laughs> I mean, you could say Ezekiel Elliott, but, you know, he's underutilized yeah, okay. in an offense that wants to force feed Braxton Miller and Jalen Marshall. So, they just, you know. Well, it's been that way all year, man. I, I mean, I was saying that. I was saying this before at the beginning of the year where I'm seeing them, like, try to get, you know, trying to get uh, uh, Braxton Miller involved and trying to do this and trying to do that. And I'm like, you have Ezekiel Elliott. Run the football, you know. Like, They're overthinking what do you, it, you know. <laughs> That's an offense that should be able to beat you, like, four different ways. And they and they really tried problem. one or two. Mm-hmm. Right. That's and their they, problem. They need to be have some of those options removed from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have too many too many weapons, and I don't think they know, you know, versus their opponent, you know, which route is best. So, um, 
They should just fire their offensive coordinator just, just outright. If you can't win with that offense, and you know, it's not going to get any easier. <laughs> it shouldn't. <laughs> so, because um, they just weren't – I mean, just from a production standpoint, I mean, you go from having, you know, this year two quarterbacks, right, who – um, people love to death. And there are people trying range. to project them into the first round. Yes. Yep. And, and then, you, and then, you know, before the season, you had people still saying Braxton Miller can still throw too. So what are they going to do? You know, like it's crazy. And then, and then what happens is, and then I say this all the time, you ruin it because you have when you name a dude the starter, fine. If you say, hey, after four games, if you're not cutting it, we'll go to another dude. But they started flip flopping, and then they said, okay, we're going to put JT in mid game here and there. And don't get me wrong, if Ohio State is blowing someone out, then sure, yeah, you know, throw your backup quarterback in there. But there were times where they just weren't happy with Cardell, so they pulled, pulled him out. JT comes in, and you know, you can't just throw a quarterback cold in a game who hasn't played in three weeks and say, hey, dude, um, you know, go get a quarterback. We need it, yeah, you know. So I hate that. I hate when people name a dude the starter and then. After really prior to two or three games, say, hey, um, you know, let's let's throw the backup in here and see what he can do. Well, whatever he's going to do is probably not going to be a whole lot better that game. You know, give a dude a whole week to, like, you know, take first week reps and do starter things. And anyways, you know, that they went from that to ha- – from having two guys that should be draft quarterbacks, two guys who I, I really don't want either dude. And there are people going to say, well, Cardell should came out last year. In all seriousness, the only difference between Cardell this year and Cardell last year, because to me, he had the same draft value. The I difference is you've seen more of him. Degree. Here's the difference. You've seen more of him. That's yeah, yeah, and you know what he is. And that's the truth. The truth is either you take him in the fifth next year thinking you stole, or last year thinking you stole, you know, this, this gem and realize you didn't, versus this year taking him in the fifth and saying, hey, maybe we can do something with you, you know, but – um, it, I don't, I don't get the whole Cardell should have came out thing because he is what he is regardless, and it, yeah. we all knew it wasn't you know elite talent. I mean, we just saw a very strong arms mobility and said, hey, we can work with it. So, right, you well, know, like I said, I reminded people last year there's a reason this guy didn't win the the job coming out of camp. Uh, hold yeah. on, though, we've been joined by one of our prospect guests. Who's just jumped on the line with us? This is Greg Miller Jr. There he is, Woo! ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Greg Miller Jr. A uh, member of my all underappreciated team who started with some appreciation. So I might have to pull you off the team, Greg, if this continues. <laughs> so, so congratulations, first of all, on having a really terrific season. Thank you, sir. For those who aren't familiar with how you were wrecking people down uh, in, in Campbell Land, as one of the camels down there, what were your season-ending stats? I believe that you were in, at or near um, the top in about two or three categories nationally. Yes, sir. I had uh, 48 tackles, um, 12 and a half tackles for loss, and five sacks. Now, tell people what position you play. I play defensive tackle. Correct. Yes. So you're doing all that with usually two people hitting you in the face on most plays. Yes, sir. And occasionally two people as in a back you know, hitting you in the face when you get through. I've um, seen it all. I bet you have. <laughs> Some schools feed you like young J.J. Watt. <laughs> you know, you get a wham block, and you get this guy, and then, you know, uh, you have to have a hand yes, on a swivel. Yes, um, what, what was, in your mind, what was your best game, your favorite game? If you had to pick a game and say, oh, this is the game you should watch, what game would it be from this season? Um. I think it would be uh, Presbyterian. Um, we played them the third game of the season. 
and um, the fight blows. And yeah, and I just I stay real active during the game. Um, really, just so that I could just do all different things, pass rush, stop the run, and everything like that. It was just it was a real good game for me. And you pulled an Indomitian too. You chased down a screenplay from behind. Sir. And you pulled an, what I call pulling an Indomitian Sioux. You sniffed out a screenplay and chased it down from behind. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, so so tell me about that. I mean, that's the play that, I mean, I obviously I like a lot of things you do, but that's something that impresses me when a guy your size playing with this new play, you know, bust up a screen. I mean, that's, that's something that's happened way over there, but you're playing over here. Uh, tell me about that and, and what you did and how you did it. Um, Really, it's just my, my coach, my defensive line coach, Coach Adam, they always tell me finishing the screen when they're watching the film. So I always show up. So it's really just effort, and it really just comes down to want to and just wanting to make the play and just wanting to be in on the play, and that's all. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm going to open it up to uh, to my co-host. Uh, so Greg's had a, a terrific well, entire career and obviously a great season, and in I'm seeing he's finally getting some some recognition, and I, I'm thrilled about him getting invited to an NFLPA game. But uh, what questions do you have for Greg? Uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> well, I guess you know, out of uh, all the coaches you've had so far in your career, you know, from high school to college football, who do you think has had the biggest uh, impact uh, on you in terms of being a mentor and a teacher? Um, well, definitely. Coach uh, Coach Menon, um, with him playing in the league for ten years, it's been um, just unbelievable the amount of nuggets he's gave me and just different things he's taught me about what what I need to expect, what I need to do now, and stuff like that. So it's um it's been uh, great with that. And then my defensive line coach, Coach Adams, um. He's taught me so much about the game. When I came from out state, I was still really raw. Um, still didn't know a lot about what I was doing. Um, but my two years at Campbell, I mean, the amount of knowledge he's gave me about just the game um, and how to play it the right way is, um, I mean, he just taught me a lot. And I, I mean, I owe a lot to him, so I would say Coach Adams and Coach Bennett. Okay. And. I know the the season takes a lot out of you. Um, physically, how are you feeling, and, and what, where's your weight now from where it was before? Um, I think it was kind of cool. I mean, of course I wanted to win and go to the playoffs, but with that not happening, um, we finished a little earlier than everybody else. So um, I was able to take two weeks off, um, give my body just a rest. We didn't have a bye week this week because technically our bye week was the last week of the season. So, um, but my weight started at 300. Um, I started back oh. this week. I started back this week doing a little working out, um, a little cardio, just mm-hmm. kind of get, keeping my cardio up, and that's about it. But I'm, I was able to take two weeks off. My body's feeling great. Uh, God blessed me with great health throughout the season and still yeah. healthy. So that's a blessing. And just get back to the grind. That's so impressive to me that how durable you've been because a friend of mine, um, I say a friend of mine, actually one of the guys I had on this show years ago who <laughs> was one of the a terrific dudes to tackle prospect at Eastern Washington years ago named Renard Williams. Um, 
you're out there, Bernard. He's a coach now, like so many of these young men. Uh, good luck to you and your now that you've, you've embarked on coaching. But he, I remember him describing being a defensive tackle as being in a stick fight, but no one gave you a stick. So you very often have, you know, hits coming to you that you don't even see. It's amazing to me that you've managed to be so durable and so healthy. How do you think that's been possible that you've been able to keep your yourself in such good health this season? Oh, really, I just think it's a um, a, a blessing from God, really. Because, I mean, I've, I've, um, I've rolled my ankle a couple of times this year, and mm-hmm. it could have went either way. But, I mean, really just blessed to not be broke. Because I actually I broke my ankle last year in the fourth game of the season. Right. So um, I know what that's like, and I just really feel like it was just a blessing to keep good health. Um, also, but do the things that I can control is staying hydrated, um, drinking water, eating right, um, taking my stretching and stuff serious um, in the weight room and all that. I think that's the stuff that I control. And after me breaking my ankle, um, I definitely had uh, intense focus on all of that stuff. Thing, and making sure every little thing was right, but then other than that, just God bless me with great help. Okay. Well, I'm going to open it up to my, my co-host, Montel, uh, and my guest, Montel, and my co-host, Jim Coburn. Uh, Montel, what kind of questions might you have for uh, Powerhouse D-Tackle from uh, Campbell? Greg, uh, sure. Uh, thanks, and thanks for coming on the show. Uh, yes, you sir, know, I you. Wanted to, yeah, for sure. Uh, what... Uh, Specific uh, system do you play in? Is this like a four three three four? Um, are you three tech one tech? Uh, yes, sir. I play. We play a four three. Um, I play the three tech and the one tech. It just uh, it can it defers with the call. Um, on third downs, a lot of times we go to the we go to an Oki formation and then we'll run three down line and, and then I'll play the nose and rush the passer from the nose. And um, I'm I'm real comfortable in it um, in both in both spots. So, but that's what we play. Okay, okay. And um, tell me about you know kind of like your approach to film. Like as a defensive tackle, you know you're going against big guys week in week out. You know zone blocking, all that type of thing. Um, so what are some things that have kind of helped you in your game that you've seen on tape? Um, when I watch film, I'm definitely looking at just lineman tendencies. Um, how how they're placing their hands. Uh I I think a big part of my game is my hands. So if I if I see weaknesses or, or something in the lineman or just where they're placing their hands and know I'm having an advantage, I definitely look for that. Um I look for on how they block plays. Um I look at their double teams on how to split those. Uh, run past um the tendencies. A, a lot of linemen will give those away. And that can make the game a lot easier, whether you're playing the run or the pass. Um, that's about it, though. Yeah, that's that's what I look for. Now, you mentioned handling double teams, splitting double teams. Um, what, I mean, you know, for someone, I mean, I, I at my heaviest, <laughs> I was, uh, well, this was I was playing, I was in the 170-something, you know, 174-ish range, 177 maybe. Uh, so I've never had to be. I've never been asked to do that. Obviously, tell someone who's never had to line up against a guard and a tackle, or line up against a, uh, a guard and a center. 
I guess most often guarding the center coming at you. What are you doing that? How are you how are you handling the double teams? What uh, what shoulder are you using? What techniques are you using? What do you do to handle a double team? How do you handle it? Um, well, coming off the ball, I'm well. I'm always reading just one guy. So I'm, the guy I'm reading, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fight. I'm fighting against him. So I'm, I'm. So say I'm in the one technique and I'm reading the center and I'm getting double teamed by the guard. So I'm gonna come off and I'm putting my hands in the uh, center and lock out. But when I when I feel the double team and I become aware of it. You don't try – I don't – well, the way I play, I don't try to fight the center and the guard. I just fight the center and put my put my hips into the guard. And mm-hmm. then usually what's going to happen if it's a combo block that the guard, he's going to have to go up and get the linebacker if the linebacker is showing facing the gap. So once the guard leaves, when he comes back off, then you're still – you can detach from the center real well and split it real quickly. So that's how I play is just – Press out through the center and put my hip into the guard. Okay. Got it. Uh, any other questions that uh, either you, Montel, or you, Jim, might have for Greg? Uh, sure. Um, in terms of uh, the types of guys you've gone up against, um, uh, who, are, who are some of the toughest players you've uh, played against? And uh, what was probably the toughest uh, – Day at the office, I guess, uh, a game where uh, you you, uh, you you it was like you know pretty much four quarters all day fight you know to the end. Um, in in the past, my freshman and sophomore year, just uh, we had we had played ECU, we had played uh, Georgia, we had played Montana, so I definitely seen some great competition there. But this year, most more recently, um, against San Diego. Uh, they had a real good offensive line. Um, they were very savvy. They just did little small stuff that can that would tick you off and knock your hands down and just kind of um, get under your skin. And that was an all-day fight. Um, they're they're real big. They're strong and stuff like that. And that was that was the best overall winning against this year. Okay. Got it. Uh, any questions you might have, Montel? Um, sure. Where, where do you sit in that right now, height and weight wise? Right, right now I'm at six foot two and three hundred pounds. Okay, okay. And uh, how different is that from last year to this year? Did you add a few, or you know? Uh, last year I played at um, right at two eighty five, two ninety, and uh, this year, being at 300, uh, I felt a lot better on them double teams and playing the run, but I still was able to maintain my quickness and speed, so it's a perfect fit for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, just double checking. All right, well, that, that's that's all I got. And, uh, I'll kick it to James. Oh sure. Uh, in, in, oh, in terms of uh, guys that you like to model your game after. Uh, you know, guys that are in college or uh, NFL. Who are some of the defensive tackles that you like to watch most and uh, and uh, you know appreciate their game? I guess. Uh, right now, uh, I think it would definitely be um, Kwan Short. Um, oh, yeah. 
uh, Kawhi Short, uh, he's a he's a 300 plus guy. Um, he knows how to rush the passer. Um, he plays the run well, and he's just really turning it on these past few this whole season. Really, you know, I just I I liked him since he came out of Pittsburgh in the draft. No, was it Purdue? I'm sorry, Purdue. Purdue, Purdue. But that's a good. Purdue. Still, still, that's a good guy to. I mean, that's a guy who's physically a lot like you. That's a that's a good guy to watch. Yes, sir. But yeah, definitely Kawhi Short. And um, we're able the coach. We have like the NFL film on our um, the NFL film on our uh, our computer system, our software system. So mm-hmm. we're able to watch some uh, NFL teams and. Our, I always go watch the Panthers, and I like to watch him just pick up on some of his stuff. Okay. So what kind of music pick up on stuff? What are some of the stuff you've, you've picked up when, from watching some of these guys? Um, just the, really the way he um, he the way he pushes the pocket and um, just really patience. Um, him having Charles Johnson on the outside and and Tony Ely and Addison and all those guys. He just has to push the pocket, his bull rush and then just him ripping off of him ripping off once he's extended and making himself a free guy is definitely stuff I picked up on. Okay. Good stuff. Yes, sir. So would you prefer to be a three? At the next level, I'm assuming that's where you see yourself as a three technique. Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't care where they put me. I just want to play. <laughs> someone, so someone says, "Hey, put on 30 pounds, and we're gonna slap you down in the nose, and just let you fight people all day. All these stuff, you know, coming at you from all angles as a zero or as a one. You'd be okay with that?" Yes, sir. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, well, you are truly a team guy because that is not sexy. Uh, play a zero, <laughs> pick up the one. <laughs> I, my um, my sophomore year at App State, we had they had moved to a three four, and I played uh, a a lot of nose tackles. So it it does get pretty rough in there. Uh huh. For those who aren't aware of what it's like to play right on the nose, to play zero, uh, talk about how different that is from the other things you've done later in your career because that's you talk about I mean zero glory and just all bruises. Uh, what is, tell people what that what you have to do in that when you're playing the zero, and then what's that like as compared to what you do now? When you're playing the zero, your job is to eat up blocks, uh, double teams, triple teams, so the linebackers stay free, and that's pretty much all you're doing. Okay. Sure. Any other questions um, before I ask my, my final? Well, not my final. I have a couple of questions, actually, before I forget. But um, any other questions you guys might have about whether it be his high school career, collegiate career at App State, or his finishing up at Campbell, or any of the questions you might have for Greg? Uh, sure. Uh, I don't know, hobbies, I guess. Uh, you know, when you're not, you know, breaking down film, uh going to work out, stuff like that. What, what are some things you like to do in your free time? Um, I like to find uh, 
a good series on Netflix. Um, I enjoy watching watching series and television, and then uh, playing Madden, uh, chilling with my um, my teammates, and that's pretty much it. I'm real real chill, dude. <laughs> so you're not you're not you're not living the the Johnny football lifestyle. You're not you know front and center at the at the the Hornets game. You're not uh, out of the town popping bottles, huh? Oh no, sir. I don't, if you don't know about Bowie's Creek, oh, <laughs> I know about Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. It's never bad woods out here. <laughs> I a million years ago, I took a visit out there. Of course, I hope it's probably a little more developed than if than when I was there in the 1980s. But when I was a high school kid, I was I was about I had a partial offer to wrestle. Actually, um, do they still have a wrestling program? I know a lot of places dropped their. There's, do they still oh, yeah. have a wrestling program? They have, okay, good. They have real, uh, it's really developing here. They got some Olympic coach or something like that. He's oh, wow. Really okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, they had, they had a good wrestling program back a million years ago when I was a high school kid. So I'm familiar with Bleas Creek. And I'll be honest, I mean, I don't mind not living in a big city, but Bleas Creek was a, <laughs> a bit a bit less <laughs> than even I was ready for. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so so yeah, you can live... Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying you have no choice but to just chill out out here. <laughs> yes, that is true. You can't get but so wild in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. <laughs> yes, sir. So Boone has a little more of a campus town community. You can find a little more to do there when you were in Boone. And then you go from, man, if you go to like, uh, you know, if the Giants get you or somebody like that, I don't know how you're going to handle yourself. <laughs> uh, I'm, from, I'm, from, I'm from Raleigh. Uh, so I'm used to being in the city, so right. I, think I I know I'll be able to handle it. And, and then I'm just I'm really I'm just a chill person, right? Um, so obviously, as we discussed, you got invited and should have been to the NFLPA game. Uh, tell it's us about how, you, how tell us about how and when you found out, and what things you're doing to get ready for it. Um, it was. It was sent to the field house. Uh, I was out of town, actually, so my coach called me, and uh, he just told me the way to open it up. And uh, I got the invite. Um, really, it was just a dream come true. Um, truly honored to just uh, be invited by the NFL PA, the directors and scouts. Um, really just an opportunity for me to, go out there with the chip on my shoulder uh, with just the respect we get at the SCS level mm-hmm. and uh, to go against, go compete against some of the guys at the FBS level that are technically supposed to be better than you. Um, so <laughs> I'm just, I'm just really excited about the opportunity to go out there and just prove myself. Now, will there be anybody there that you already know? My guess is there's probably at least one or two guys you, you've run across in the past, either when you were at App State or at um, uh, or at Campbell. Yes, sir. Um, you said, well, was anybody else out there going? Yeah, I'm assuming you're going to run into at least one or two guys you've run across before somewhere, right? Yes, sir. Um, Devontae Harris, uh, offensive mm-hmm. tackle at App State, actually he played defensive line my freshman year. So we were in the D-line room together, um, real good okay. friends. Um, but he plays offensive tackle now. He's, he accepted his invite. 
And then Doug Middleton, um, always been like a big brother to me. I mean, we still stay in contact at least once, once or twice a week. Um, strong safety, free safety, he's going to be there. He said that his invite. And then I, I thought my boy uh, Ronald Blair, he was going to go, but he um, he accepted his Shrine game invite. Oh, okay. So he, he, he got the call to the Shrine. Okay, well, that's great for him. He's a really good player. Oh, yes. I mean, another guy that I've got a lot of stuff from is uh, my boy Blair. And uh, physically, I mean, obviously you're an impressive athlete, you know, right now today, but I assume you're doing some things to get ready. What are you going to be working on through your pre-draft process and, and getting ready for NFLPA game and eventually your pro day and, God willing, even the combine? What are some of the things you're doing to get ready? Um, well, I actually haven't started um, the, the training yet, but when I do start, I'm definitely going to be working on my First step, you can never have a fast enough first step. It can always be improved. So just my first step off the ball. Um, continue to get better with my pass rush moves, have more in my arsenal and more moves to go to. Um, and then just overall explosions, just being the most explosive athlete that I could be. Okay. I got it. And I'll just, I'll just check. Any last questions before I, because I, if I don't uh, check, I will start to dominate Greg in terms of his time and attention. Uh, are there any questions anybody else might have before I, I start peppering him with a few more questions? All right, then. Then I'll just keep going. Uh, so you're going to get a chance, like I said, to catch up with some old friends. And you're going to be obviously in Los Angeles. Have you ever been to LA before? Um, in high school, I took a visit to um, I took a visit to UCLA. Oh. Okay. Uh, and then we played San Diego. I mean, that's not LA, but I mean, close enough. We played <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> we played San Diego. Um, to uh. In November, the second uh, second week in November, so we was out there for that. And then after the season, um, the agency I went I I signed with, um, they're located in San Diego, and I'm, I'm gonna be moving in and, um, January, the first week of January. So I'll already be out in the San Diego, California, Los Angeles. Oh. Yes, sir. Okay. Well then. I will dispatch one of my operatives who is in the South, Southern California area to check up on you um, while, while you're out there. So yes, I, have, I, have, I have someone in place, so I will, I will let you know more about him. But uh, he's sometimes on with me on the show, but he's, he's currently getting ready for the USC-Stanford uh, game right now. He's prepping, pre-gaming, whatever you want to call it. Oh, yes, but, yes, yeah, so I, I will have someone reach out to you while you're out there. Uh, it's a... First of all, it's a really nice facility they have uh, where they hold the game. Uh, yes, it used to be called the StubHub Center. I don't know if it's – it is a StubHub. It used to be called the Home Depot Center. Now it's called the StubHub Center. But it's a really good facility. Uh, it's actually in Carson, which is, you know, a suburb of L.A., but just south of the city. And Carson itself has a heck of a football tradition. Carson 
uh, high school, Banning High School in Carson, California, used to churn out talent back in the day. Uh, Ricky Manning, uh, who was a very good corner at UCLA and then went on to play with the Eagles and somebody else in the league was from there. Um, uh, Jamel Holloway. No, wait, Charles Thompson, not Jamal Holloway. Charles Thompson, uh, who replaced Jamal Holloway as the quarterback at Oklahoma and won a national championship out there, uh, was from, from Carson California. There's a good amount of football talent out there, if that's you care. But um, it's a place with a football tradition as well as nice facilities, and you'll like it. You'll like it. If you haven't been there before, you'll, I think you'll enjoy yourself. So yes, if you don't mind, I'm going to follow up with you. You know, I would like some maybe – you know, reports on how practices are going. In fact, I'm going to probably send you an email regarding a few questions that you could send. I'll put those in the profile I'm writing up of you for uh, for FanSpeak, uh, you and a few other guys. So you probably won't be the only guy that I'll be talking to out the NFLPA game. But I, I know a few people associated with that game. It's a it's an all-star game on the rise. It's very well run. And the coaching, you have to tell me who's working with you, but usually their coaching is amazing. And, of course, there's a bunch of, you know, NFL guys there. So you get a chance to be a lot of scouts there, and obviously a lot of uh, – you might see some – I said I saw Ted Thompson out there the last time I was out there, the guy who runs uh, the, you know, the talent acquisition apparatus for Green Bay. Mm-hmm. And Ted Thompson's just – he's a tremendously hard worker. I mean, that guy, <laughs> I don't know how he does it all. Because he he almost hits the road like a like a like a like a scout would, and then he also does all the stuff he does. It's crazy. No, he he's just amazing. So, mm-hmm. what are some of the things you want to get done? What is what's your little list of accomplishments that you want to get done when you go out to NFLPA game? You know, obviously, you know it's a nice trip to LA, but for you, it's a business trip. What business do you want to conduct when you're out? There? Um, I just wanna I wanna do I wanna dom I wanna dominate in the practices. Uh, I want to show all my tools, um, show to show the scouts what I've got, um, and then show just keep doing what I'm doing, but able to do it against what's supposed to be the high level of competition. That's just really what I get, want to get accomplished. So just continue to dominate, um, continue to eat up double teams, continue to rush the passer, um, continue to explode off the ball with great hands. Um, really, just stay in consistent, and um, be able to handle the stage that it's going to be on. Okay. Got it. Uh, okay. I'm going to check one last time to see if I have anybody else need a question, because I don't want to hit you with my final question. I'll let you get back to what you, you're doing to get you ready for all the things you've got to take care of. Sure. Uh, any last questions for Greg, Greg Milhouse? Okay, well, then I'll hit you with my final question. So, Greg, I have a couple of different versions of this question. I've asked you at least one version of it before, so I'll I'll change it up a little bit, but not too much. So similar to the last time, I'm going to put you in the league, and I'm going to put you on a team even. I'm going to – what the heck? Why not right there at home? Uh, I'm going to slap you right there <laughs> into your hometown – semi-hometown Panthers, I guess, in that you're going to be living in – San Diego, but uh, for a while, but mm-hmm. home home is really back to the East Coast. And I'm going to put you in that same room with all those guys you've been studying, including KK Short. You know, and that's a heck of a room to be in. I mean, that's they've got some yes, guys. Sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so, 
but you won't be the only guy there. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. They, they're gonna, you're not the only guy that's going to be there trying to, trying to get a job. It is an absolute dogfight uh, to get to and stay in the league. I mean, that's something you probably already know. Is it? So they bring you in. You're in, you know, rookie mini camp, and everybody's all excited and running around. What is it you're going to bring to the table? What are you going to do so that you don't just go home with sweats and stories about how you were in the league for two weeks? Uh, what are you going to do so that you keep you can stay there and keep getting game checks and keep learning the game and loving the game that you you know that you played so well for so long? Oh, well, first off, um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep my mouth shut and uh, I'm I'm gonna watch the the guys in the room and what they're doing and how they approach the practices and the meeting room and stuff like that. So I, I'll get the tips from them as far as how to conduct myself and just keep my mouth shut and then. Just work as hard as I can, um, do everything the coach asks me, um, get extra work in after practice, before practice, just be the best player I could possibly be uh, each time we hit the uh, practice field. Perfect. Yes, sir. So my last question, do you have any nicknames, anything, any pet names, anything people call you other than Greg? Um. My nickname right now is probably going to change, though. Uh, a lot of people call me Ocho. Um, <laughs> because you wear, you wear no. big giant number eight on that body of yours, right? Yeah, I wear number eight, but those days are over, so <laughs> that name is probably going to have to change. <laughs> Please yeah. let me know what number they assign you when you get one assigned at uh, the NFL PA game, because that'll be your first <laughs> time wearing number eight since you were You've been wearing that since you were a kid, right? Uh, no, I wore I wore fifty three in high school. Oh, you fifty three. Oh, and you just added the two together. I get it. Okay. Yes, sir. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Cool. Well, Greg, first of all, it's been a thrill watching you uh, throughout your career from App State to when you arrived at Campbell and started basically dominating, and then you refined what you did. Like before, you were sort of, as you said, you were, you were honest. You said you were raw. You were a really good athlete playing against guys who weren't quite as quick and sometimes weren't quite as strong as you, and you were able to be productive. But then once you really embraced improving your technique, man, you were you were trouble <laughs> once you actually had some technique to go with it. So it's been fun watching you develop. Uh, uh, tell people, certainly tell people how they can follow you, find you if you've got, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, if you have a, I don't know what else you've got out there. But uh, how how can people find out more about about Greg, former Ocho Greg Milhouse? Uh, well, my Twitter name and my Instagram name is uh, Greg Milhouse Junior. One uh, L in the Milhouse, um, and that's that's how you can keep up with me. And uh, I definitely appreciate you keeping up with me, and as always, sending me an invitation to be on your show. Well, it's it's been a real thrill. I really uh, oh before we before we forget, please shout out your you mentioned your agency briefly. Can you shout them out and who who you deal with and what's their name? Um, I'm with Seven Sports Group. Um, yep. And, and my agent is Craig Diamond. Okay, I know him. I know Brian Simicata better, but I'm familiar with Craig. Yes, sir. Okay, perfect. Well, once again, I thank you very, very much. It's been a thrill. Um, I very much enjoyed, like I said, watching this powerful raw athlete who, you know, was getting things done even before he really knew what he was doing actually become a guy who, like I said, can sniff out screens, can feel a draw, can know when there's an influence play coming in and not fall for certain things. 
that's when the exciting thing is watching you you grow on the mental side. Yes, sir. Thank you. Certainly. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, defensive tackle, Greg Milhouse, Campbell University, and then previously at Appalachian State. If you aren't familiar with him, check him out. I'm sure there's some film out there. Um, uh, unfortunately, Campbell doesn't get on national television very often, but if you do a little digging, you can find some stuff out there on you know, ESPN3 or maybe Huddle or things like that. But it, I would say if you haven't already checked them out, do so. And if you've got to, you know, hey, the people at Campbell are actually very accommodating. Uh, not every school is, is as accommodating. They will sometimes even, you know, pull, find something for you if you ask nicely and uh, ask the right people. So, once again, he's a, he's a guy you get a chance to watch him in practices. If you haven't seen him before, the NFLPA game. Um, I will either be at East West or NFLPA this year. I'm still figuring that out. But hopefully I'll be on NFLPA. So, then I will get a chance to talk to, to Greg in person. If not, then I'll have to deputize uh, a member of my, my local network to, uh, to get out there and speak to him. So once again, um, I thank, very much thank you for, for spending time with us, Greg. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay. So good luck to you, and like I said, hopefully I'll be seeing you again soon. Thank you, sir. Certainly. Right. Uh, I, I try not to have favorites, you know, so I won't say he's a favorite, but he is a – I remember spotting him when he first got to Campbell and thinking, you know, this guy's got something. I mean, no offense to – most, you know, D2 defensive tackles or FCS defensive tackles, but normally you're seeing guys where there's a reason they aren't playing at UCLA or there's a reason they aren't playing at Iowa or whatever. But when I looked at Greg, I was like, I'm seeing a big-time D1 defensive tackle. He just happens to be playing FCS football. And, you know, we can get into all the reasons that why that happens. And like I said, I try to explain to some people that it's not always that a guy is inferior physically. Sometimes schools, you know, run out of scholarships. <laughs> I mean, there is a scholarship limit. You you can't sign everybody you want. Uh, so sometimes you end up saying um, to a kid that you thought you had, you got someone, you know, we all, we all know about the stories of what happens when, you know, schools oversign, whatever. Uh, sometimes it's grades, sometimes it's just lack of exposure, but that's a guy that you just flat out could tell, at least I could, uh, flat out could tell this guy can play at whatever level. And he has a legitimate shot if he gets in an NFL camp, and I think he will get into an NFL camp, he has a, a legitimate shot to, to stick. Uh, Jim, have you had a chance to actually check uh, Greg out? Since since last we spoke about it, um, hmm. not recently. I remember watching him uh, early on, early in the season, uh, before the season actually started. Um, and you know, he has he has a size for the uh, size for the position. Uh, definitely, he's been pretty you know productive. So, well, here's what I will say say about where he was this year where he is now versus this, this time last year, he really has done a good job of taking coaching. And, I mean, every kid says they're coachable. I mean, no one says, you know, I'm, I'm a nightmare to coach. No one ever comes on and tells you that. Uh, but, I mean, for him, it's clearly true. It's true that he's, he's, a, he's a sponge. He clearly took to the coaching he received. 
he had been well coached to a certain extent before, but he was just far he was further down the depth chart when he was at App State and you know, just to be honest, coaches can't spend as much time with the third or fourth guy in a position as a guy for the first or second. So I think he was well coached. He didn't get as much coaching at App State, spike way to put it. And then once he gets to, to Campbell, you know, obviously when when uh, Coach Moore, who was a legend at App State, was let go, you know, a lot of things like I said, people sort of underestimate the ripple effect of coaches <laughs> moving on. You know, it's not just, oh, we need to find a new head coach or whatever. You Usually an entire staff going, a lot of times players have to move on as well. And, you know, so it's a lot of these days. But the point is that he lands at, at uh, Campbell, and at first he's just dominating physically. I mean, that's what he did early on in his career. That's all he did. He's just overpowering people or outquicking people or both. And there wasn't a whole lot of tremendous technique being used. And then the thing that I've noticed about him this year as opposed to last is his Technique is much more apparent to me. Okay, sounds good. I'm going to see if, okay, because briefly we did have um, one of our other prophets dial in, but he hung up. Let's see if I can get him back on. So I guess I'll give you guys something to discuss amongst yourselves. So, uh, the games, the actual games themselves. Uh, I'll start with you, Montel. Who do you think in these big games today, who do you see prevailing and why? And then, Jim, same question to you while I work on getting Gabriel West back on the line. Uh, sure. Um, well, you look at the games today, I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. Um, I think Alabama, though, I don't think, I'm just dead confident that Alabama is going to go ahead and take the win. Against Florida, I mean, things would be really interesting if they didn't, so I kind of wish it was that way. But, uh, you know, regardless, uh, you know, Alabama's going to get the win, I think, this afternoon against Florida. Uh, USC's going to play Stanford. I think Stanford wins, and uh, I don't think USC gets within 10. Uh, Michigan State and Iowa, uh, it's another tough one. Uh, To my knowledge, Connor Cook is healthy. Uh, Michigan State is reasonably healthy. I think they'll win this game against Iowa. Uh, but it'll be it'll be fun to watch. It'll be a really close game. They're very two very similar teams, very similar styles. But uh, I, I got the Spartans. Uh, UNC against Clemson. Um, you know, I you know I saw last week when the, the Gamecocks uh, gave them a run for the money. Uh, I just haven't seen enough North Carolina tape to be confident that you know they could pull something like this off. But I'll tell you this: it'll probably be closer than it should be. But I'll still take Clemson. Um, you have the meaningless Texas versus Baylor game, but Texas is winning. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to cast my vote on this game because the score is already lopsided. But, but go ahead, James. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, you know, I – oh, hello? No, say good. Go ahead. Uh, oh, I was going to say that uh, I think North Carolina is going to pull the upset and – put the committee in a bind because they're going to kind of like be this year's Ohio State in a certain way because uh, I think they're going to play really well. Uh, offense going to Not one, two Big Ten teams, Jim. Not one, but two. <laughs> no, I, I see North Carolina doing it, man. Um, I I just think that I really like their offense. Uh, West Switzer is really good, you know, kind of like a West Walker kind of clone hybrid type guy. Uh, with little Jordy Nelson sprinkled in too, uh, 
you know, where are the wide wide receivers at, right? Uh, but yeah, uh, he's good. Uh, Marquise Will, uh, Williams um, is uh, he's been inconsistent, but I mean, he's an effective player. I mean, when he's not making mistakes, not getting his mechanics wrong, um, he's he's good. Uh, and also Quinshaw Davis and uh, of course Buck Howard is you know it's kind of been quiet this year. It's kind of sad. And also Elijah Hood, their running back, really crazy good. When he gets the ball, so I, I and the defense under Gene Chizik. So I know Bill kind of cringes a little bit when he hears that name, but under Gene Chizik, <laughs> that defense is, he's done a good job. Uh, though. Done a good job. So what team is he uh, at now? Uh, who? Where's Chizik at again? Uh, North he's Carolina. the D coordinator. In fact, he's he's the supposedly the the front runner to win the the Frank Broyles Award for. Assistant Coach of the Year at North okay. Carolina. He's their D coordinator. Yep. <clears throat> okay. Yep. So that, that's where he is. Now, now you know. So, oh, yeah. So he's there. Uh, but I, I, I think it'll be a close game. But I, I think North Carolina pulls out. Um, Clemson has. They've been able to close out big games, but Clemsoning is called Clemsoning for a reason. And there's no bigger Clemsoning moment. Like we haven't had that 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 biggest of Clemson moments, you know, that that response mm-hmm. of uh the refined just collapse, if you will. Uh and I'm not gonna say it's gonna be hundred percent collapse, but I, I think this is something team that hasn't exactly went up against the toughest competition. I mean I've watched most of their games. I like their defense a lot. Their offense is a little Oh, I mean, it's a, it's compliment, you know, it's okay, um, but I, I think yeah. this is going to be uh, an interesting matchup, and I, I think North Carolina is going to get it. In terms of the Big Ten, I got to go Iowa, man. I know Michigan State mm-hmm. uh, and Connor and the Connor Cooks and the and the other sort of people are kind of like, you know, they 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 most likely will win it. I'll, I'll say that much. At least my brain tells me they're most likely going to win it, but. But my heart tells me that Iowa has read all the people saying, no, you guys aren't that great. You guys suck. You know, your your undefeated streak is BS. Uh, (laughs) You haven't played anybody. Michigan State's going to roll all over you. And they're going to go in that game with a chip on their shoulder, man. Um, And I think that uh, it'll be a close game. Uh, I think it might even be like a 17 to 14 kind of. 20 to 17 like game, um, but I think Iowa ends up getting it, and and then I guess another team that the, the committee because like if I'm if I'm thinking about the marketing strategy, it's like Iowa getting in and North Carolina getting in. It's like what the heck is this going to be? You know, like this this championship, right? But yeah, I I think I think Iowa gets in. Um, at least that's who I'm picking, I guess. So that's all I'll say. Uh, and then. Alabama beats Florida because that just is, you know, makes sense. Uh, and Houston, I think, beats Temple. And I think the last, I think that's it, I believe, unless there's, oh, Pac-12 championship. I think USC gets gets it on Stanford. Uh, Stanford, of course, you will know, beat USC at home in a, in a really – uh, like oh my gosh, loss type of thing. I mean, it was it was a bad loss. Uh, 
losing Stanford. So, uh, but yeah, but but I think USC comes back under Helton, and uh, you know, I, I believe Max Brown is starting. Am I? Is that correct? Bill? Really? For uh, you want USC, right? Yes. I believe you are correct, and that opens up the down-the-field passing because and I'm not going to get into the whole why I believe Max Brown should have won the job before, but he really does look like Carson Palmer when you see him out there playing football. But, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I was a big Max Brown fan, too. I liked Kessler, but I always thought there was – you talk about limitations, right, with Jerry Goff. Kessler has limitations in terms of uh, certain throws. Arm strength. Um, Arm strength. Well, it's just getting the ball to certain places and not having it break up at the last minute, you know, stuff like that. But arm strength. Arm strength, sure. Uh, Max Brown has arm strength. Uh, I know this is kind of, you know, because he is a guy that hasn't really, you know, started that much and you're throwing him in in the Pac-12 championship. But I just have a feeling USC's – now, here's the other thing, too. I could be completely wrong. USC disappoints me like they always disappoint me um, because that's just USC sort of thing, you know. It's like, well, you know, that sort of thing. But I, I think I th- I'm I'm going with the good storyline wins, I guess, right, the the, the underdogs, the, the, uh, the, those types, the Rockies, right? Like, I'm going with those types of people, you know, because they're creaking out this week. So, yeah, I I, I think that, I'm looking. I'm seeing a lot of upsets, except for Alabama, Florida. Because come on, Florida is not going to be Alabama. You know. Okay. Okay. What if they think? What if? What if, James? What if? We we have also been joined by today's other prospect, Gabriel West. How are you doing, Gabriel? All right. All right. Uh, excellent. Glad to have you on. Uh, I've enjoyed watching your tape. And I've enjoyed talking to some other people who've played either with or against you, and your name has come up. So it's clear that while you not might not be the most discussed prospect in your position in the world, those people who have discussed you have had some interesting things to say. So I appreciate it. Sure. For those who aren't familiar with your story, tell people about how you ended up where you are and sort of what your I guess go to the sort of the earlier part of your career. Uh, what was high school like for you, and what was your recruitment process like? Uh, I, I graduated from uh, Stuttgart High School in uh, Stuttgart, Arkansas, um, in 2011. In my class, I was, I think in my class, I was like number nine overall in the state of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So I was, recruiting, was, recruiting was pretty good, actually. Uh, I originally committed to Memphis, and then I committed to Arkansas State. And then uh, I wound up not having an ACT, so I was going to sign a Division two and went to Arkansas Tech. And uh, from there, I transferred out to junior college in California, and I went to uh, Pasadena City College. And the recruiting was still pretty good out there. It was actually really, really good out there. I was a four-star on Rob. And uh, when, I, when I left there, I wound up signing with a Washington Baptist, which was, a, at the time, it was a pretty good Division two. Uh, I actually... Go ahead. Oh, yes. I mean, there's a few NFL guys from Washington Baptist. I'm very familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, at the time, well, last year, our quarterback was uh, Cal Frazier. He had played at Auburn. So uh, we, we were pretty good. We were finished our rank number four in the country and everything. But, you know, as the Division two goes, 
you don't get full scholarships. And uh, right. OBU is a OBU is a is a is a private, so it's really 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 expensive. Expensive, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, with this being my last year of eligibility, I had uh, I transferred to a lesser uh, to a, to a less expensive school, but still Division Two, which was Oklahoma fan. And uh, I feel like I finished out there pretty all right. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna open it up to some of my. Uh, one of my special guests, Montel Hardy, and also to my co-host, Jim Coburn. Uh, Montel, what questions might you have for Gabriel West? Uh, sure. Tell me, uh, well, right now, uh, the type of system you're playing in and uh, how it's different from, say, the last one. I, I think you said you transferred, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. So just go ahead and explain to me, you know, like a, in terms of systems between one and the other, is it, you know, maybe the same 4-3, or, or what are you looking at differently? Oh, I actually well last year in junior college I played uh kind of like a nickel slash weak safe because I played in three three five for the for those three years I played in three three five and uh coming out to the fan and coming out to the panhandle it's a man to man system so I played corner out there and it was a it was a whole lot different from playing like the weak safety slash free safety to the transition to corner it was a whole lot different but I feel like as the year went on I got a better and stronger as a corner and uh my man to man skills had were, were more, uh, I was more confident in my management skills, you might say. So I feel like they both were kind of equal, but I, I like the, the 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 freedom that I had at safety. Okay, okay, okay. As a safety, uh, who would you uh, say you model your game after? Oh, uh, that's tough. Uh, I don't, to the answer, I don't know. Uh, I think my, my favorite player is uh, DRC, but if I if I could say like a player. Not a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and kick it to, uh, you know, James. You got anything? James, do you have any questions for Gabriel? Okay. Well, I will, I will ask you questions while Jim uh, does what he's doing. So you've played, obviously, positions that, a lot, that told you that you had to be pretty physical, sometimes, sometimes yeah. come down in the box and help against the run. You've had to carry tight ends up the seam. You've been asked to play against running backs and receivers, uh, you know, some of them, in, as you said, all over the field. If you're in a man situation, you've also played some zone schemes. Talk about what mentally uh, you had to do differently between the two systems and talk about what was different for you physically when you had to prepare to play in those two different uh, types of responsibility? Well, uh, playing in 3 3 5, I just had to really prepare more mentally than I did uh, physically because, you know, you have to see route combinations quicker and uh, read run fast. But playing in a, in a regular 4 3 system, I mean, playing on the island, playing corner, had to be more physically mental, physically ready because you have to be more in shape and at the end of the day, when it comes out playing man-to-man, it's who's a better athlete. So I had to be more physically ready than I was in a in a 3 5 system. Got it. And talk about some of your coaches. Who have been the coaches that have had the greatest effect on you, the greatest uh, influence on you as a player? Uh, the greatest influence on me as a player? Uh, yeah. I probably, I had my coach uh, Todd Knight at uh, Watch South Baptist. He was, he was a really good coach. Um, not even just about football, it was just to help become a better person as an individual. 
So I would say I would say my uh, coach Ty Knight and my high school coach uh, Ty Barnes could still go out. Oh, okay. Got it. And what is your your current height and weight? Right now I'm six one one height. You know, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. That's the that's the frame they like. They they like they like corners nowadays. You do about six one and maybe a little bit heavier than you are, but not too much. Um, so what things are you working on? physically to get ready for the next level? Uh, physically, I'm just trying to work on getting my hips better, get my hips uh, better be more explosive mm-hmm. to my hips, and uh, working on my transition. Because really. I feel like straight line, I can run with anybody, but, you know, transition, that's what I have to get better at. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that tall guys do sometimes struggle is just, you know, if you're facing a guy who's, you know, 5'8", 100 you know, 72 pounds. And even though you might be able to run stride for stride in a straight line, it's when he starts, you know, because he can get in and out so quickly. Uh, who are some of the best players you've played with or against at any level of football in your in your life? Who are some of the guys who are the best? Uh, the best player I've played against is uh, Jalen Strong. And uh, he played for Texas right now, actually. Yeah, he, yes. <laughs> yeah, he was really, he was really, really, really good. I played against him in junior college, and uh, best I ever played with. I just say, uh, uh Marcellus Bates is like one of my best friends, and uh, he oh. plays for Redskins right now. Yeah. Yes. Small but powerful little linebacker. Yeah, he used to make every time in high school. Like every time he would make it. <laughs> okay. Great. Um. How about the best? You said you, you played against um, Jalen Strong. What did you learn from playing against a guy like Jalen Strong, who is a, a very physical receiver? Yeah, he had to be physical. Because uh, it was really my first year playing college football. Playing against him, I learned quick that you, know, you got to be more, you got to be physical. You got to bring the, bring the contact to them because he was physical all night. You know, he's blocking every <laughs> every aspect, whatever he was on, was a kickoff, kick return, whatever, he was physical. So I just learned he had to be more physical playing against uh, bigger guys, bigger competitors. Got it. And would you say that? I mean, obviously, you 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 know, you're, there's just by playing corner, you're going to have some wins and losses. Uh, how did that go? How did that game go for you? Oh yeah, he had a really, really good game. <laughs> he had a really good game. Yeah, he had a really, really good game. But you know, we we wanted to win it, but there you he, go. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he won a real good. He had a real good game, bro. He had a real good game. Got it. Okay. Um, anybody else other than Jalen Strong? Obviously, Jalen Strong's going to be the headliner. But who else has given you a real challenge? Like it was a, you know, you really, really tested your skills, made you work. It could be a guy you played with or against uh, at any level. Um. A guy that I played against on a high school level was uh, Michael Dyer. He was, oh, because you know, I played, yeah, I played safety and quarterback. So it, playing against Michael Dyer was probably the the, the hardest game of my life, actually, because he they would line him up everywhere, receiver, running back, well. So that was probably the best player that I had to play against uh, on that level. Yeah, that that'll do it. That'll <laughs> do <laughs> So, did you ever the match up like in the open field? Just you know, you and him, and you ever bring him down? Just you versus him? Uh, I tackled him. I tackled Mike, but uh, I tackled him before. But, but yeah, he, he, he was he was a man. I like when you put that. Oh, I tackled him. He didn't look good. Wasn't pretty. Yeah, he came down though. <laughs> hey, what, what's he saying? The box score. There's no pictures, just numbers. 
Uh, what did you say? The old saying, my coach used to say in the box score, there are no pictures, just numbers. Yeah, it's just numbers, just numbers. <laughs> okay. Um, and you mentioned playing with Martell, obviously, in high school. What what kind of things do you get from a guy like that who's got such great instincts? What, do you, what kind of things do you learn from him? Uh, to, to be honest, uh, Trail only started one year of high school, you know, but he, he was a guy that, that, that it's like his dad, he used to work tremendously hard. Like, he worked harder than anybody I ever met in my life. And you know, mm. playing with him, that's what I that's what I learned the most, you know, about just working hard, no matter what happens, just keep working hard because on every level that he's been on, I, I would say he's probably been the hardest working person on AT and uh, one of the most humblest people that you've ever meet. Huh. Now, as you mentioned, you've got pretty good straight line speed. Uh you have you have a little bit of a track background as well, is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I do. Tell me a little bit about your, your track exploits, your track background. Uh, I ran track in high school, but I ran in California too as well. I had around ten eight in a hundred, but I never really practiced on. I, really, I never really uh, practiced on running a hundred. I right. kind of really just did it off natural ability. So I ran a ten eight and hundred then, and when I was in uh, high school, I ran eleven three. I mean, it's not blazing, but you know, okay, yeah, you know, decent. That's de- for a guy who just that doesn't work on it. That's pretty decent. So. What's your what's your what's your personal record in things like the forty, the vertical, three cone, uh, short shuttle, stuff like that? Uh, the best forty that I ever ran probably was four five one. I ran that in front of Mike Gundy actually at uh, Oklahoma State. So the best forty I probably oh. I probably ran on official on an official clock at four five one. Okay, that's not for a guy with your frame. That's not bad at all. You know, six one, and I assume that they. I don't know if have, you, have scouts ever talked to you about. You know what they'd like to see you in terms of weight and things like that, because you're—I mean, you're not skinny, skinny, but I'm assuming that scouts have said they'd like you to put on, you know, five to ten pounds. Yes, sir. Just depending on uh, what position that I would uh, want to be looked at as, as a safety or a corner. Uh, a lot of people have told me if I want to play safety, I have to get up. I have to get up to play. Oh, five. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're gonna play but, safety, they want you about two ten, two fifteen, yeah. Yeah, and, and and in that corner, basically, it's just like either stay between one ninety and two hundred. Yep. Yeah, that's about right. And uh, are you doing anything physically to to deal with that? Are you are you hitting the weight room? What are you doing right now to prepare? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I am. Uh, I'm preparing every day here in Arkansas at uh TikTok, and uh, we've been training there. I I actually was supposed to be in Miami right now at the FTS Bowl. Congratulations for that. Yes, thank you. Good, good. Uh, I was talking to the NFLPA Bowl people about you, but they they were full up at your spot apparently. But uh, you were on the list at least. If somebody had turned them down or gotten hurt or something. Yeah, well, I sure hope somebody does uh, turn it down and get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a cold hard business. Hey, lots of people's career. I mean, Tom Brady, right? If Drew, if, yeah. if Drew Bledsoe never gets hurt, Tom Brady's a career backup. Yeah. So, I mean, I hate to put it that way, but this game's all about opportunities, and one of the ways to get them is somebody gets hurt. Well, I don't hold them hurt. I just hope, you know, somebody just... Or somebody turns them down. There you go. All right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There you go. That's your good man, Gabriel. Good man. Um, Montel, any other questions you have for Gabriel before I hit him with a uh, last couple of questions? Montel? 
Montel is keeping his own counsel, I guess. So I'll, I'll ask you a few more questions. So if you had a choice, and I know you'd play wherever they put you, you'd play linebacker, you'd always play linebacker probably, but if you had a choice, which would you prefer, safety or corner? Um, I had a choice, it'd be corner. Okay. Is that because of the, you know, so much individual competition at the position? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, 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 it. I would say that would be it. yes, sir. Because on the next level, I know the running backs are going to be way bigger, way stronger. So, uh, <laughs> I you know I, I used to have a tough time tackling up uh, our running back, Chris McClendon. He's a monster runner. Oh big. yes, that he's two hundred twenty yeah. pounds and he can run. Yeah, yeah, he's very athletic. So I would say corner. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> get you want to get out of the box business altogether at this point, huh? <laughs> I understand. I was an undersized safety. Trust me, I completely understand. Uh, if I had been faster, I would have loved to play quarterback. I didn't have to uh, Okay, uh, a couple more questions. So tell me about a play that you made in your career based on film study, like something that you – a play you could not have made if you hadn't been into the middle side of the game. Uh, I would basically say uh, I, it's really one of the most simplest uh, plays, the, the, the smash concept. Uh, I mm-hmm. caught a pick four off of just, you know, uh, reading, the, reading the routes, knowing, knowing everything. It was my first year playing corner, actually, because I – Now, were you, were you jumping four. on the hitch, or were you, or were you undercutting the, the corner route? No, I was in between. He tried to throw the corner, and, uh, you know, the corner sinks under the uh, the seven route, so I was talking about the seven route and mm-hmm. just fall in right in my hand, basically. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. It's nice when that happens. <laughs> Uh, do you? What's your special, your special teams background? Obviously, if you, whether you be drafted uh, or brought into camp, they're going to ask you to be on at least two and possibly more than two of their special teams components. Well, I've I, I played on every special team, punt, punt return, kick, and kick return. Oh, okay. I, I, I can return the ball. So, but I played on every special team. Oh, okay. So you you want to be one of those guys looking at like you want to do what? <laughs> they tell you to line up an L three on, uh, on on kickoff coverage. You're gonna know where to go and what to do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. And if somebody asked you, they wanted to see the best play or the best game or what, if you had to represent yourself, you had to pull one piece of tape. What would it be and why? Um. Uh... Rather for one game. Yep. Like um, if somebody I, I, said, I, I, "Hey, give me one. I only got time for one, son. I'm a, I'm a busy man. Which one would it be?" I would probably say uh, Toritos. When I, back when I was a junior college, they, they had a team full of really really good athletes, and I feel like that was the first game where I really just came out as a as a corner, uh, all around corner. Uh, I feel like I played pretty physical that game. I feel like I, I feel like that was the best game of my career. Okay. 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 Great. Fantastic. Now, are you currently signed with anybody in terms of representation? Um, I'm not signed with nobody, but I've been talking to, 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 to a few people, but I'm not currently signed with anybody. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'll let uh, so it's it's I'll let it be known that you know if you are out there looking to represent a quality athlete, a guy who's a chance to maybe play either corner or safety, and nowadays they like the flexibility at the NFL level. You know, somebody should definitely look you up. Uh, a couple more things, and then I'll, I'll let you let you hit the road. So I'm going to take you 
forward, right, into your NFL career. So let's say you do get a chance to go into the league and play cornerback. And I'm going to I'm going to put you on a team in fact. Um I'm going to put you into the uh the you know, the DB room in Seattle, right? One of the most intense defensive back rooms in America. And there's some guys there already who can play. You've got to get a chance to even stick around, you have to show somebody something yeah. quickly, right? It's not like they're going to wait, you know, yeah. when, when a guy comes in as a late draftee or undrafted free agent, they're not going to give you forever. You're not getting all the reps, right? You're getting a handful of reps. And you better do something with those handful of reps, and you better learn the system quickly. Now, how much do you know about what those guys run out there, Legion of Boom, their uh, their defense? Uh, it depends. I would have to know once I see the playbook. As now, I really don't okay. know what they run, but I would okay. have to see the. Well, they run. They run essentially a matchup cover three. I mean, and they're not, it's one of the. It's actually one of the simpler defenses, to be perfectly honest. But they they do it so well. It's not. They're not tricking you. You know, they're not, it's not tricky. They don't jump into a lot of stuff, not a, not a lot of combo stuff. They don't, not a lot of quarter, quarter pass, not a lot of, you know, man on one side and zone on the other. No, it's cover three, match up pretty much all the time, almost all the time. And, but they, they just do it so well. Plus they have Earl Thomas who, you know, may be the best safety in football right now. So they funnel a lot of stuff towards him or towards Cam Chancellor when, when Cam's back there too. Uh, so what they usually do is Cam does a lot of the underneath stuff, right? Linebackers. He's basically like an extra linebacker against the run, and he takes Rob Gronkowski, you know, right? That's, 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 that's the famous matchup in the Super Bowl is he took Rob Gronkowski pretty much all over the field, pretty much. And then Earl's usually in single high which he's maybe the best at, you know, like I said, in all of football right now. And the corners, you know, they do flat. They do the – the uh, and then intermediate, they run with, you know, intermediate and even sometimes deep. But mostly they pass it off to Earl at some point. After about 17 or so yards down the field, it's all Earl. <laughs> you know, and luckily he's a good enough athlete to pull that off most of the time. Yeah. So they don't, they don't trick you a lot. It's not super complicated, quite frankly. It's just that they everybody does their job really well. That's why we the boom is so good uh, because they don't. That's how they can also keep up with those tempo offenses because they're not getting caught trying to change stuff up. They don't change up very often. They basically do the same thing. Now, what has changed this year is that with the loss of Byron Maxwell this year, um, Richard Sherman has been following the other team's best receivers. He, he actually splits. He used to always be always been on the same side of the field last year and years before. So for the first time in his career, he is doing what Patrick Peterson or what Darrell Rivas does, which is follow the other team's top receiver every place. You know, so if he lines up on this side, he lines up on the slot, wherever, I'm going where you're going. So that's the part that's different for Sherman this year. And so people have criticized him for only playing, you know, one side of the field before. That wasn't his decision anyway. That was, you know, the call for the, the defensive coordinator made that call, and he just executed. But now they've, because of, they don't have Maxwell anymore, they decided to go ahead and just have him go wherever with the other team's best receiver. So what would you, first of all, what would you do um, in order to stick around if you got to Seattle? And then what kind of things would you be wanting to pick up to help you to stick around? Because it's, 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 it goes fast. I mean, in a few weeks, you go from, you know, 90 guys, 75 to 53, and it's just a matter of weeks. 
I probably try to be best uh special team T B uh for for the for the for, for one. And uh things I was all pick up on is uh I'll play matchups on better. So I was I was trying to pick up from uh knowing everybody's just still know where to follow people to and know where I got help coming from. Okay. Right. And, and and that's true. I mean, they also have really good coverage linebackers. Malcolm Smith is another guy that at times took took Gronk when they played against uh New England in the Super Bowl and uh and of course, uh you know, KJ Wright, who unfortunately has been hobbled a lot by injury this year, and uh Bobby um uh good lord, I can see my mind from Utah State, Bobby uh oh my gosh. Wagner, thank you, Bobby Wagner there, uh Mike Linebacker, who is another terrific athlete. I mean, that's the thing that it is. It's, they've got long, fast athletes. That's why they're able to get away with, you know, not necessarily having the most complicated defense in the world. They just have guys who execute at a high level, and they're really great, flexible, fast, long athletes who can do more than one thing. That's how they pull it off. So, Gabriel, if people wanted to keep up with you, whether it be, you know, Instagram or, or uh, I don't know, Snapchat or uh, I don't know what other – things you might have, Twitter, whatever. How will people find you and follow you if they want to keep up with you in the uh, uh, months leading up to the draft? Oh, uh, Twitter. You know, Twitter. Twitter. That would be Okay. Excellent. So what you're going to get in a couple of days is a, a follow-up little questionnaire, and some of the questions will be something you may have seen before, and then I'm also incorporating this into an article. And leading up to the showcase, I'm going to ask you some questions about practices and, you know, how that goes and what the coaching's like. Uh, so I'll have, um, you know, probably maybe two pieces. One will probably focus just on you, a profile on you. The other will be part of a whole team I call the All Underappreciated Team in my uh, Blue Light Specials, which are about players that I think will be found in the late rounds or as undrafted free agents that think have a chance to stick in the NFL. And, and a little bit of blurb of information on you will be on that. A uh, little rundown of all of those players. So, I'll, I guess my last question will be: of the guys that you've played with—high school, college, pro, whatever. Well, pro, yeah, but you know, wherever it is you played, junior college, high school, and in college, who are the guys you're closest to? The guys that, like, uh, you know, are going to be calling you on draft day. Guys that you're going to talk to for the next however many years of your life, through football, even beyond football. Who are the guys you're closest? Uh, Trail, not Trail, that's that's one of my real, real good friends, uh, Christian Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another guy that I'm real close to. And, uh, you know, I had a coach you guys that I told you guys that I was a baseball team. Okay. Well, perfect. Uh, first of all, like I said, I'm, I'm very glad I finally got a chance to get you on. It's been a real pleasure. I've learned a great deal about you. Uh, I'm assuming you have some highlight tape out there for those who might be looking for it. Do you have Huddle or, or something on YouTube? Uh, yes, I have uh, I have three highlights on YouTube, and um, I have one on Huddle. So okay. I have actually a game film on Huddle, but I have three highlights on YouTube. Perfect. Well, for those who aren't already familiar with, with Gabriel, I highly recommend you check out his tape. He definitely looks like – he looks the part, as they say. He looks like a guy who could – could play at the next level. So that's one of the reasons I, I'm, I very much enjoyed finally getting him on because I believe he has that potential. I do want to thank uh, Greg Milhouse who joined us earlier on the show. And he's definitely a guy worth watching. He'll be out the NFL PA game, and hopefully I'll see him there. Or if not, Donovan will be able to run into him while he's out there. 
of course, Montel Hardy was on with, on with, uh, with us earlier, and my co-host, uh, James Coburn. I want to thank all of you gentlemen for your time, your talents, and your, your attention today. Uh, once again, Gabriel, it's been a real pleasure, and you'll be getting a, an email. Certainly, you'll be an email from me soon following up the show. So thank you so much, and uh, look for that. And uh, if you can get to me by, say, Monday or Tuesday, I should be able to get the article up by Wednesday. All right, thank you. Oh, certainly, my pleasure. Well, and like I said, I especially thank you. It's been it's been great. I like I said, you're you're a guy who has real talent. I can tell that you're you're driven to get this thing done. And as hard and uphill a battle as it'll be, and I'm not going to lie to you, it's going to be hard and uphill battle. I, I I definitely think you have a real shot. Thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. Uh, thank you all, and we'll do the show again in one week. Very once again, Gabriel, the best of luck to you, and uh, have a great rest of your career. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.